the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, from the third floor, house side of the state capitol, another day of our coverage of the 92nd uh, General Assembly here at the capitol. (coughs) Excuse me. And we'll be doing this every Monday through Friday uh, until the... Politicians decide to stay here Friday and work as well. That's towards about the last third of the session. Start getting when, busy when that happens, and then it gets really busy. And we'll be here on Monday through Friday, but we'll keep you up to date on all the bills that are out there, uh, the good ones, the bad ones, and the who cares ones. You know, we'll do all of them. But we're going to start off today with uh, one of our newest uh, constitutional officers. Uh, who's uh, kept the, the the red the red light going, so <laughs> to speak? And uh, Tommy Land's with us. He's the land commissioner. He took the place of our previous land commissioner, who became Secretary the Secretary of State. Of State. And so, uh, so uh, Thurston has moved there. You've moved in. What do you think? Is it is it what you expected, or is there a whole lot more that was there that you had no idea? Uh, I would say it's it's mostly been what I've expected. I, I spent a lot of time in the office after the election, and uh, and, and actually before the election, going in and, and asking uh, about uh, certain issues with the office. So uh, I, I think it's been about what I expected. I, I know this: uh, uh, I, you never know everything you need to know until you're standing there. Until you're there, that's, that's right. right. But so. I guess I guess John Thurston was a good guy to follow. Oh yeah, you know one thing about John, it was a uh, is a well run office, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, efficient and transparent. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was very fortunate in that I I got to keep most of the employees in mm-hmm. the office. That's good. And you know, so they knew their job. Right. They they enjoy doing their job. And as far as far as as long as they're a good employee, then hey, I see no reason to change. Yeah, well, I can understand that if they if they did it the way Thurston wanted it done, then they'll do it the way you want it done. Correct. You know, that's as correct. far as that's concerned, because I've heard that you're pretty much a stickler that you follow the rules. Is that right? I sure try to. Yes, sir. Okay, well, that's good. So let's let's talk about for our listeners. A lot of people have no idea. What you do and why you have a job. You want to explain to them why that is? What, what is sure. the land commissioner? Okay, the land commissioner probably spends, oh, I, I would guess, probably 70% of the time in the office is spent dealing with tax delinquent real estate. Uh, we have other duties also. That's one thing about the office that I find very interesting is, is there are a lot of different aspects to the land commissioner's office, but the, the greatest amount of time is spent with tax delinquent real estate. Okay. When property becomes tax delinquent uh, in your county, uh, your county collector spends about two years trying to contact someone to, to let them know, hey, you're delinquent on your taxes, you need to come and pay your taxes. Mm-hmm. After about two years in your county collector's office, it's certified to the land commissioner's office. The land commissioner spends, again, about two years trying to contact someone and say, hey, you, you need to come and pay your taxes before we sell it. 
uh, at the end of that basically four-year period, then the land commissioner will hold an auction in your county and auction off all the tax delinquent real estate in, in, that, in your county. And they do that every year. All right. So people probably didn't know that you can be in arrears from like four years before things get really serious yes, at that yes. point. That, that's correct. You know, I, I've, I've spent some time talking with people whose property is uh, in the land commissioner's office. It's, it's not, it hasn't been auctioned yet. And, you know, I, I know most of them were totally surprised. Uh, i tell you, that's one thing we're going to do, uh, we're going to strive to do uh, as land commissioners is we're going to try to educate the people of the state of Arkansas. M- many of them do not understand real estate taxes. They don't understand where that idea comes from. They don't understand how that amount is arrived at. And, and we're going to do everything we can to try to educate people so they will have a good understanding of, of where, their, where their tax dollars are going and, and why it's being taxed. So I'm, I'm going to assume that, well, talking to John, he told me this, but bottom line is that you don't want to own anybody's land. You'd much rather they be able to figure out how to pay whatever their arrears are, keep their property, so the state don't have to deal with it any further. Oh, that that would be the very best scenario. You know, you'll never have a hundred percent of the property like that simply because, you know, you know, some of the problems that we have is someone owns a piece of property, they've been keeping up the, with their taxes, they passed away, their heirs have moved out of state, they've forgotten that dad and mom owned that five-acre lot. You know, mm-hmm. totally forgotten about it. Well, the, your local county collector doesn't have an address for the heirs. They've moved out of right. state, okay? And maybe it didn't go through probate. So uh, so then it's nearly impossible to contact them. So there are always going to be some issues like that that we're, we're going to have to deal with. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, if we could get 99% of that property redeemed, believe me, it would, it would just please me to no end. Okay. So for people who find themselves in that kind of position, what are some of the main things you want them to understand? You know, running away from the problem ain't going to solve it, That's probably correct. number one. Correct. But uh, is it, how can you keep, like what you're talking about, you got heirs, they don't even know perhaps that they even own that property. What should people do that own property with their, uh, their will and testament? Should there be something that directs people for sure to this? Oh, most definitely. You know, I think it ought to be very clear in, in your will as to what property you own and, and who, it's, who it's going to be given to. And, of course, having, I, I believe having a good executor for your estate will help ensure that that, that, that business is taken care of properly. Um, you know, um, the land commissioner's office, n- normally when you do look at auctions through the land commissioner's office, you get a very negative uh, vibe from that because you're selling people's property. You know, one thing that I would really like for people of the state of Arkansas to understand is this. When the land commissioner does that, they're moving that property out of the hands of the state of Arkansas and putting it back in the hands of its citizens. Believe me, that's what I want to see us do. If if it absolutely comes down to auction, then hey, let's auction it off. Let's get that property back in the hands of private individuals, okay, and out of the hands of the state of Arkansas. I, I would say probably in my lifetime, my best investments have been real estate investments. 
and I want everybody to have the opportunity. Okay. I'm going to ask you to move up on the microphone just a little bit there. Thank you very much. That That should help. So, yeah. So what are some other things that people don't realize that your job entails? Okay. Uh, We we take care of mineral leasing for the state of Arkansas, our office does. And... um, you know, when the uh, we've had oil in South Arkansas for years and years and years, and then when the Fayetteville Shell opened up, uh, mineral rights in, in that area of the state became very valuable and very important. Uh, you know, I think as, as, as we move ahead uh, under the president's leadership as far as energy is concerned, mm-hmm. I, I think you're going to see some other areas in the state of Arkansas open up or some areas that are perhaps um, there. The initial push is over, and they're going to come back in. I, I know in Cleburne County, where I live, uh, the, the initial gas exploration and, and drilling was done. Now they're going back and, and recompleting those wells. It's called a recompletion. Okay. And they're drilling a little deeper and, and, and out a little more horizontal and getting more gas from it. So uh, mineral rights are very valuable in Cleburne County. We're the second largest gas producing county in the state. And... Uh, you know, I've seen the value that's there for the people of our county. People that have for a long time have just barely gotten by. Well, now they're getting a check every month, you know, and and it's a it's it's a, been a good blessing for them. And I want to see I want to see that grow. If there's an opportunity for the state of Arkansas to receive some of those some of those funds uh, through royalty payments, that's that's one way of helping keep our taxes lower. Well, that's why Texas is able to manipulate their land taxes and stuff so well is that they've got tons of oil out there. Correct. That's correct. they deal with. I mean, the Permian Basin now, from what I'm hearing, has more oil than Saudi Arabia has oil. Yes, that's what I understand. Is that not incredible? That's incredible. That's a a complete turnaround, Paul, (laughs) Mm -hmm. as far as that's concerned. But, you know, there's money to to be uh, made for the state as far as that's concerned. So what should... The average uh, Joe or Joette do when you're buying some land. Let's say you're buying it in towards the northwest part of the the town uh, or, or towards the state, and you get some areas out towards uh, Mount Vernon and that are in the shale. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you make sure if you're buying land that you're going to get the money from the, the the natural gas as well? Yeah. Well, when when you um when you close, of course, you know you'll close probably through a, a lawyer or a title company, and, and of course they should do the investigation as to see who owns the mineral rights. Uh, we had a we had a cattle farm uh, just south of Heber Springs for twenty something years, and when we purchased it, we purchased it. We owned fifty percent of the mineral rights. Okay. The other fifty percent were retained by a company called Donovan Lumber Company. I believe they retained them back in the nineteen thirties. Well, by the time we bought the property in the 80s, if I remember correctly, that 50% that they owned was divided 190 different ways because it had passed. Oh, my Lord. It had passed from heirs to heirs to heirs, you know. And so mineral rights can get, yeah, they can get very confusing very quickly. sticky, can't they? Yes, they can. So, you know, it's important that when you, when you, go, into, uh, when you go into a real estate transaction that you make sure that you, you know, you specifically ask, now, who owns the mineral rights on this property? Now, when you, when you do a title search, they'll just, they'll just go back and, and look back through the titles in, um, in, back in the, in the past, mm-hmm. and you'll find at some point 
either you'll find or you won't. You'll find, perhaps, that it says mineral rights are retained by original owner or, or something of that nature. So Correct. Do not convey or yeah. something of that nature. And that, that's, that's enough to actually sever them? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, for instance, I, I, I'll tell you, my wife is county assessor in Cleburne County, okay? She has approximately 30,000 30, real estate parcels, okay? In other words, the county's divided up into 30,000 real estate parcels. The mineral rights are divided up in 130,000 parcels. Can we say that her uh, her job gets a lot tougher? Oh, yes, yes. As you sure start does. digging, yeah. start getting into it? Yeah. All right. Tommy Land is uh, the land commissioner here of uh, Arkansas. It's one of the constitutional arc, uh, offices here in the state. We're going to get a break in, and then we're going to come back and talk further with him here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're live at the Capitol. He's going to be with us to the bottom of the hour. And then we're going to bring uh, Tom uh, Coburn on, former senator of Oklahoma. He'll join us, talk about the uh, convention of the states with him. And I'm sure we'll get talking about some national politics as, as well with him since he was a former senator that I respected a whole lot. we got a lot coming your way yet here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stay with us. All right, we're talking with the uh, newly elected uh, land commissioner of Arkansas, Tommy Land. People, is that a running joke here in the Capitol? It's been a running joke for the last 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, want, I want you to tell everybody how many miles you drove while you were running for office? I put 78,000 miles on a car that I purchased specifically to campaign out of. Have you already traded it in? Oh, I sold it the next next week. I sure <laughs> did. I was, you I were, was glad to see that one go. You were sick of that car. Oh, then, I was. Right? I sure was. And yeah. it, what kind of car was it? It was a Ford Fiesta. Oh, that's a small car. Yes, sir, it is. And it you're is. not a real small guy. No, sir. I, I, I told a joke. I said there are two good things about this car. Number one, it gets 40 miles to the gallon. Uh-huh. And number two, it doesn't matter where you go, you're glad to get there. <laughs> <laughs> glad to imagine. get out. Uh, yeah. I can imagine that that, that is yeah. the case. So, mm. you know, what are some of the things that you want to bring to the office? Mm. I mean, surely you, you – well, I guess you could if it's running so well that you don't have to do anything. You just – let it take care of itself. It's you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Correct. But are there things that you think need to be done to make it better? You know, I, I think one one area that we're going to work on uh, is is we're going to work on educating the people of the state of Arkansas about property tax. Okay. okay. I, I I think that is extremely important. Um, people just don't understand the process, and and someone needs to step out and say, okay, this is why you're paying it, and this is where the money goes, and this is what you do. So we're going to work really hard on that. Another area that we're going to work on is we're going we're going to reach out to veterans. Um, I was approached by the Department of Veterans Affairs when I when I announced that I was going to run, and we have two areas in the state that are deficient for vet, veteran cemeteries. We've got a band across South Arkansas, and we've got an area up around Mountain Home. Uh, if property doesn't sell at the auction, it stays in the land commissioner's office, and it's still for sale. It's called post-auction sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, if We're going to look through those post-auction sales. If there is property in those areas that would be suitable for a veteran cemetery, we're going to make that donation to to uh, the Veterans State Veterans uh, Administration for their development as a veteran cemetery. So we're going to work with veterans very, very closely. Um, you know, uh, one of the things also that we'd like to we'd like to see go forward is 
the land commissioner has the authority to donate property that's unsold. And uh, we're, we're looking at an opportunity to donate that property to, for instance, cities, especially cities maybe with two- or four-year colleges, where they could take that property, they could develop it as low-income, I mean, yeah, low-income, low-rent housing, okay, to provide veterans or, or someone else an opportunity to get an education and, and do it in an affordable, in an affordable manner. So we're going we're going to work with cities and counties on that. There's property that that uh, just is has has no appeal to an investor. Then uh, we're going to uh, we're going to look at making that that contribution. We're also going to work very hard at getting more people involved in the auction process. Like I said, one of the best investments I ever made over the years has been real estate investments, and and I've been buying real estate since I was 19. I bought my first home at 19. Wow. Had to go to court and be declared by the judge an adult so I could sign a contract. Uh-huh. And I bought my first home at 19, and I've bought real estate of all different kinds all through my life. And it's been a great blessing to me and my family. Uh, we're going to encourage people to get involved in that auction process because it's, it's, a, it's a good way that if, if that property is going to be auctioned, if it's, a, it's a good way to purchase a piece of property at a good price and perhaps develop it later on and, uh, and, and profit from it. And, you know, I, I can tell you, I want to see the people of Arkansas prosper. Uh, my neighbors are hardworking people, and uh, many of them have just barely uh, made a living all their lives. Scratching by. Yes. I, I want to see them have an opportunity to prosper. All right. Ask you a question, not necessarily has anything to do with your uh, position that you hold or anything like that, but something that I've talked on the air about before. Do you think there should come a time uh, for people who buy homes uh, that retire, they're 70 years old, you think there should come a time where they actually get to own their <laughs> land? Is there a time that we should uh, do away with property taxes, do you think? You know, I, I tell you, I would. I certainly have would have absolutely no problem with that. You know, the uh, I, I know that there is an opportunity to have a once you turn sixty five, you can freeze your property taxes. Did you know that? I didn't. Okay, I I now know it, and yeah. I'll I'll use that since yeah. I'm going to be sixty six here in a couple of weeks. Okay, you need to go see your county assessor. Okay, okay, your county assessor will have the paperwork for you to fill out. You fill out that paperwork, and you'll have a freeze on your taxes. The only way your taxes will rise is if the people vote in a millage increase. Okay, okay. So that's a 65 freeze. That That's something. And, of course, you know about the homestead credit. Yes. Okay. Homestead credit right now is $350, and that's... Somebody's looking to take that up to 375 And I think that's a great idea. Uh, so you got homestead credit. You got a uh, uh, 65 freeze, a senior freeze. And then veterans, if you're 100% disabled, you don't have to pay ta- property taxes. Okay. okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So those are those are a couple of things that, that are important. You know, I, I tell you, if we can figure out a way to to fund the government and and uh, not pay property taxes after you're after you're a senior, then hey, I'm I'm close there myself. I wouldn't be have You'd a be problem all right with it, with it yeah. too. Tommy Land, thank you so much for being with us, the land commissioner here in the state of Arkansas. Hope you understand his job a little bit more. And uh, if not. 
from what we've heard today in this half hour, they're going to teach you about his job. So Amen. you do understand it more. Thank you very much, Tommy, for coming by with visiting with us. Thank you all for the opportunity. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back after the news. Uh, former Senator Tom Coburn will be with us at that time. You who follow news uh, fairly decently will know who uh, Tom Coburn is, and he's already told me I'm to call him Tom and not Senator. We'll be back with more in a moment. All right. We are at the uh, third floor. We are on the house side. That's where you'd find us if you uh, came over and uh, you're talking to legislators or just visiting the, you know, the Capitol or whatever. Come on by, say hi, and uh, yeah, if we're here talking on the radio, wait till we're done, take it, got a break, and then come on up. Uh, they've gone to get Tom Coburn. He'll be with us here momentarily. Uh, he went with Gary Stubblefield. They're evidently the senator, and he chat. are, have, have are chat, old, old, old friends. So. You know, they may be talking about cattle or something for all I know. So we, <laughs> Tom said he needed to know where the bathroom is. And that's not an easy thing when you're, some, some you're here were, at the Capitol. Some of them are kind of hidden. Yeah. The one that we visit is all the way over on the other side of the Capitol mm-hmm. by the Senate. the Senate side. There are two that are upstairs. That are hidden. That there's a lot of no people don't even them. know about. Yeah, there's no sign on them at all. And I've yet to figure out exactly here on the house side where the bathrooms are. I think there's some behind closed doors that we don't have access okay, to. Okay, so they're over there. And uh, I think there's some back in the in the legislators' quarters or wherever they No, okay. Yeah, because but there's no getting to them. I know that much. Yeah, I think we'd have to go through some doors that maybe we don't have yeah, the, permission you know, to go through. Us peons, you yeah, know. We're not, maybe we're not important enough. That was a joke, <laughs> you know. Anyway, bottom line, we're waiting for... Uh, Tom Coburn to get here, and uh, he's here in Arkansas today because he's trying to talk to legislators uh, on a on a joint resolution uh, dealing with uh, the uh, convention of the states. Right. Yeah. You know, he wants uh, Arkansas to sign on to it. There's some people that have doubts about the convention of the states, and it can go, you know, become a, a wide open, you know, kind of thing. I always, my my answer to the people who think all these bad things are going to happen is, We've got bad if a whole, if a, yeah, well, if a lot of bad things could happen, why do you believe that the Founding Fathers put it in the Constitution? I mean, there's, they put it there because if the worst came to worst, push came to shove, it was some way of dealing with it. Well, and it's, I think there's potential for bad stuff. I mean, con- we have Congress. That's a that's a pretty big potential for bad stuff. We have we have a Supreme Court. That's a pretty big potential for bad stuff. I mean, I, I'm not a super big fan of the Convention of States, but not because I don't think it's constitutional. I think it's perfectly constitutional. Um, but but it it's I think there's some some different possible outcomes, and I, I think it's totally possible that even if it did go got to get it up to the old Supreme Court chamber. Crazy. Then um, then it could actually result in some, some people waking up. All right. Tom Coburn is here. He's in the chair, in the hot seat. Let me. Hi, Gary. How are you? It's good to see you, man. So, I apologize. That, Senator Stubbin, right. Stubblefield was hiding me. Uh-huh. I, do, I do said. We want to get Mr. Stubblefield to sit down with uh, us, too? You wanna, hey, Gary, you want to join us? You can come on over. It's no problem. 
Let me let me just start off. I don't want to blow a bunch of smoke at you, but bottom line is um, you were one of the guys that I honestly believed that we could trust in the Senate. Well, that's what I aim to do is to be straightforward and, and take stands on based on what I believed and tell the truth. And wow, I that, didn't, that's I didn't, new. I didn't, you know I didn't what I'm actually now. look to get reelected. Because I think you. if you're trusted, you get reelected. Right. Well, you did a great job while you, you were in, in the in the in the senior chamber. You did a good job. You really did. Let's let's talk about why you're here. And and Paul and I were just kind of bouncing it back and forth. Mm-hmm. I'm a supporter of the convention of the states. A lot of people say, well, th- this could happen or that could happen, and a lot of the things they think could happen couldn't happen. But here's the bottom line: the founders put it there for a reason. I don't believe they wanted us to use it. However, there might come a time when we have to use it, and I think that time is now. Actually, the quote by Colonel George Mason was, are we so stupid to think that if a federal government ever becomes a tyranny, that they would eliminate their own tyranny and give us back our freedom? Mm -hmm. And we may not be at that point, but certainly our children are at great risk of losing tremendous amounts of freedom. And I can tell you as a 71-year-old man, I've lost tremendous amounts of freedom since the time I was 20. Mm-hmm. So, the, and, and, you know, it's like the proverbial frog in a pot of warming to boiling water. You don't recognize what's happened unless you're looking long term. So if you think about it, the, the average millennial today, 50 years from now, will be co- having to come up with individually $30,000 in real dollars. In other words, as it is inflated, real dollars, that'll be $100,000 per person per year just to service the debt that the Congress has created. Correct. So, so the, the, the point is, is our founders believed in a limited government, and we have anything but a limited government. They believed in economic, that's an understatement. They believed in economic freedom. We led the world for 200 years as number one in economic freedom. We're now 20th in the world. Most of that is because of excessive regulation and interference in commerce that has nothing to do with safety or ethics or right behavior. An awful lot of it ends up being protectionism. Right, and by corporate protectionism and other protectionism. Uh, And the rule of law has been diminished which is the other thing they thought was most important. So how, how do we continue to keep a republic and think about the history of republics if we don't act to do what our founders put in our Constitution to save and restore? We're not talking about radical change. We're talking about restoring, for example, the Commerce Clause. The Commerce Clause is what gives the federal government the power to tell Arkansas how they'll run their schools, all the way down to their bathrooms. Well, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So what we need is common sense restored in our country, and we need personal responsibility and accountability. But the best place to have that is locally, Mm -hmm. and then at the county level, and then at the state level. And the last place to have the decisions made is in Washington. And we all know of all the kind of stupid decisions that have come down and how costly they are. We have toilets that don't flush. And then when we think about what the average federal employee makes, which is two times what the average individual in our country makes, something's out of whack. So the whole idea is to restore us to a position of 
growth. Why aren't we growing at 6%? We could. Right. It's because we have limitations that make it to where we can't. So there's a possibility for us to do all sorts of things if, in fact, we do what the American people would like to see done. Limit the terms of appointed and elected officials. Restore common sense by limiting both the Commerce Clause, the General Welfare Clause, back to their original meanings. No change. But, you know, one judge decided what the Commerce Clause would be in 1931. Right. And so we've seen all this growth of federal government on the basis their power comes from this expanded definition of the Commerce Clause. So how, how, do, we, how do we convince the, the U.S. Um, legislature, Congress, to impeach some of these judges that are just out of control? How do we deal with that? That's about the only solution. Well, they, they can't do it. anything up there. They're paralyzed well, they're, because it's all based on partisan gridlock. They're impotent. And, well, it, it, the point is, is everybody would rather stand on their position than say, what's the best thing to do for our country today? Have mm-hmm. some principles. And, and That's right. And uh, where is that? You don't see that. In very few individuals will you see that because they'll walk mark and lock step with their party. And the point is, is your oath to going into the Senate never mentions your state. It says you swear an allegiance to do what's best in the long term and under the Constitution as it was written for the country as a whole. Instead, the Constitution is something closer to toilet paper. Well, it, the Constitution is now 10,000 pages. When you include all the all the, the case federal law all the, the all the case law, all the federal judges' decisions, and all the bureaucratic. Red tape. Red tape that's been issued. So the question should come back is, can we apply common sense? Can we cheat history? In other words, do we as a republic have to fail? Right. And I I would say for my kids and grandkids, I have nine grandkids, I don't want us to fail. I agree. And so we ought to be about in Arkansas. Oklahoma's done this. Everybody around Arkansas has done it. We ought to be about doing this countrywide, 34 states, and call the convention. Remember, anything a convention can do is only a recommendation. They can't do anything that impacts anything permanently. Right. They have to, it has to be approved by, was it, three-quarters of the states? 38 states. Yeah. So if you think about it, that means 13 states will be the deciders on whether something happens or not. Because if those 13 states don't take up a constitutional amendment to restore the Commerce Clause, it won't happen. So so the deciders are the states and the people of the states, not the convention. The convention is just a recommending body that says, we recognize there's some problems here. And ever, you can't talk an American that doesn't think there's problems in our country today. Right. So, so, Tom, what are, what are some of the big myths that are out there that scare people? Oh, I think one is you'll lose your Second Amendment rights. And that's impossible. Because I've been in 39 states now. Uh-huh. And what the biggest fallacy I see is one legislature saying, I don't trust those other legislatures. <laughs> what, do, you, do you actually think that there are 13 states that wouldn't take up any limitation on Second Amendment? There's 25 states that would never take that up. So it isn't never going to happen. First, that's number one. Number two is it'll never get sent from Washington to the states because what's called aggregation 
And federal law is already established that if you offer an amendment in a convention that's outside your application, it cannot be forwarded to the states. So it'll never happen. It'll never go to the states for it. Number three is anything outside the convention is subject to a point of order, the application, so it'll never even be taken up. So fear guides a lot of people, money raising, uh, power. The fact is, is most of the things that people are afraid of with this have no basis in fact, if in fact you study both history and present-day politics. Okay, well, I'm, I've never been in worried about it, to be honest. I think it's necessary now. When I see open socialists standing in the House and the well of the Senate, I've had people ask me, well, what will your father think about that, Dave? Because I mention my father a lot and things that I know and the way I live my life. He'd be, he'd be cleaning his M1 right now. I mean, I, these are the people he fought against in World War II. Yeah. And now they're they're standing in in our own quarters of power. Well, there's fascists associated with that as well, yeah. which is is the real danger. You know, socialism's been proven not to work everywhere it's been tried. Yeah, it's failed so, miserably. So we have all these young idealists who think that this is what we ought to do. Do, do you realize what it'll cost if we have Medicare for everybody additional a year? It'll cost some more. It'll cost a lot more than Obamacare. Well, and I'm just telling there, you. There's some but think it might, it might. Remember the cost in lives because the quality of care is going to markedly decline as well. Absolutely. If you don't have a pricing schedule, if you don't right. have a pricing system. So right now, I choose whether or not I want to have certain procedures done based upon what it costs me for various different things. But if I haven't, if it's if it's all of it's free, then. Of course I'll go have Well, yes, until the money runs out, except in England today, if you're 75 and fall and break your hip, guess what? Unless you go get it done in private, you don't get it done by the public health. That's kind of the thing is that when there's there's no price to to set demand, help set demand, then government ends up having to to regulate um, usage. So so just to point out a statistic, $100 billion in overpayments in Medicare a year right now. Sixty billion in Medicaid. Hmm. So, if you do an eligibility survey in Arkansas to see who's really eligible versus who's on it, yeah. you'll find ten to twenty percent aren't even eligible, but they're, they're taking the money from the governor because they slipped past the system. The point is, is we could have better health care if we just pub- use market forces to allocate the scarce resource. And that means you could know before you go to buy, except in emergent cases, that's 89% of the time you can know ahead of time what something should cost you when you go in and enter the health care system. 11% is emergent and mental health. And we don't know what those things cost because we can't determine ahead of time how much is going to be consumed. Right, but we can predetermine that on some level by having actual market forces. Sure, sure. Because hey. if we actually have predetermined cost, if I can go in and say, you know what, I, I think I need a strep test because my, my throat is sore. How much is this going to cost me? Yeah. And if it's like $17, whatever it is, I can go in. You know, if that same procedure is needed on an emergency basis, why should it cost any more? Yeah. It's, there's a price already set by the non Well, they rationalize the hospitals that they don't mm-hmm. make any money out of their emergency rooms, which is a lie. Uh, matter of fact, last year, the nonprofit hospitals in America made more money than the profit hospitals. <laughs> and they, they, they put liens on more people's houses, the nonprofits, non-profits than well. the for-profit did. Yeah. So you need to think about it. 
the point is, is markets work. There's a company in Tulsa called Metasys that's working with large companies. They have gone around Tulsa and found out the best price for everything by CPT code. And then they tell them, they mine the data with the employers, and then the employers incentivize their employees to go to these places. We'll, get, we'll pay your copay. We'll pay your deductible. Go here and get it done. Right. Saving hundreds of thousands of dollars a month awesome. in, per business. Senator Stubblefield, I've been behind this ever since Nate Bell brought it up years ago. And uh, we've not been able to get it through. What's the chance this year that we can vote this and get it through? I think the chances this year are much better than they've been in the past. I think we would have got it through the House last year had there been a little more time. It was put off to the last minute. And uh, I think there were some people that weren't there, just weren't educated enough. You know, we've been getting a lot of uh, uh, emails here from – and, it, frankly, it's the same thing that's happened the last two sessions. I've ran this bill for four years now. Yeah. And uh, – you know, when you go out here, Dave, when you go out here on the street and you ask the average person if the federal government is too big, if it's too powerful, if it's too involved in their lives, 90% of them are going to say yes, mm-hmm. it is. So it's not a matter of whether the people support this initiative. It's just a matter of educating and getting our, our state legislators to realize what's at, what's at stake here. I mean, we cannot, it's like Senator Colbert said, when I introduced this bill back two years ago, we owed $18.5 trillion. Now we're at $22 trillion. We've had a Republican president. So it really doesn't make any difference nope. who's sitting in the White House. They've still got a huge spending problem. And until we get that under control, everybody knows Everybody knows that sooner or later we're going to hit a brick wall. And what we're doing is not sustainable. And when we do, I can assure you that the guy living down by the lake in a tent, the only difference in him and the billionaire is the billionaire will have more worthless paper in his pocket. <laughs> yeah. That's about the only difference. So, you know, it's it's time the people stood up and, and did what the founders – and you asked a question a while ago, and I think Mark Meckler answered this, why this has never been used before. There's a reason. It's very, very difficult to do. It's mm. very hard to do. And the founders intended for it to be very hard to do. Uh, but they still envisioned a time where this government would become so powerful. I liken it to a monopoly, uh, the game of monopoly, where they, the one who, the one who gets the most property wins, and they know how to play the game better than the states do. In fact, many times they play the states against each other, and that's where we are. We've got so many levels of bureaucracy today that the states are nothing more than regional agencies where they funnel our own tax money back to us. With all these mandates connected yep. to it. So we've lost all control. Actually, the, the average per state of the money that you raise in your state, federal bureaucracies control how you spend 60% of it. That's true. It's more so what that, what that means is, is your legislature only really gets to make decisions on 40% of the tax revenue that you collect in your state. All right, bottom line, we're down to about a minute left here. I know you've got other places that you have to be here in uh, in the Capitol. What do you what are you telling uh, the legislators here? Because you're dealing with them right now to, to vote this forward and get us in the column that will go for this. What are you telling them? Well, I, uh, I tell them what our founders thought should be the most powerful organizations in our country, and that's state legislatures. And if you abdicate that responsibility, what you're saying is let let them run it all. 
And if you think we're doing well, vote against this. Mm-hmm. But if you're running on a basis of being afraid to fix this, then you're exactly what, who shouldn't be in the legislature. Because what's needed today in our country is courage and integrity and character, not cowardice and whimpery. And uh, remember, 80, I can't remember the total. I think it's 69% of people in Arkansas, both Democrats and Republicans, favor what we're doing. How many other things do you have in Arkansas that get 69%? It's 58%. It's 58% of the Democrats favor this. So, so if, in fact, the common sense people of Arkansas favor it, why don't their legislators? Is, it, is there a reason that they don't? Tom, thank you very much. Tom Coburn, former Senator Coburn from Oklahoma, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let's get our final break in. Okay, we should be back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We got about uh, two minutes to news. Tom Coburn had to uh, get to um, another meeting that he has coming up with the senators here in the state legislature, and I, I think that he's already spoken to the House members. From I'm what not, I was I'm not told. sure exactly, but it's it's he's down in the old Supreme Court room, I think. Is where That's where they're all gathering at. And uh, they're, they're going to be talking together and getting things going and should be uh, be interesting. I hope that Gary Stubblefield, Senator, uh, State Senator Stubblefield, is correct. I hope they have uh, the, they, they have the, uh, uh, the votes this year to put us in the column. I, I didn't get to ask the, uh, the former senator how many states were in on this, but there's a considerable amount that are already out there, and there's a lot that are considering it again this year of trying to move forward. I'm a little bit torn on this. I I would be a lot more comfortable with it if we could be sure that some of the the delegates would be someone like Gary Stubblefield or someone like that. But I'm afraid it's going to be somebody that's a a lot less principled and and that they might actually pass something bad. And so it's... and as dumb as the people... Can it get much worse? I don't know. And that's, right. and that's the other thing is that... <laughs> that's, that, that's, my, that's my argument. And that's part of the thing is that you know, maybe maybe something would pass that would actually wake people up. It might. All right. We've got to get out of here. Got news coming up. Uh, we'll be back after the news. State Senator Kim Hammer will be our guest here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Kim Hammer will be here in just a few moments. And he will join us. We will talk of... The uh, bill he's got filed, the Freedom of Speech bill, another bill he's got filed is a uh, special uh, declaration about, I think, uh, the Bryant is the Bryant uh, High oh, School football team that won the state tournament, 7A. I remember. I don't know if I have that. Yeah, so they're doing that uh, today, uh, I believe, as well. So we'll talk to him about that. But this Freedom of Speech uh, bill needs to be talked about. We tried to get uh, Brian, Brian Smith on today to talk about it. He's up there in ASU country to talk. You know, We tried to get him, but yeah. he had some other things that he was doing. He said he had some meetings to go to, I think, after after session was out. So we'll, uh, we'll try to get him on next week. Uh, tomorrow, just so you'll know, in the um, first hour... We were going to have uh, Tom Coburn, but he decided he wanted to do it today. And so we got him in. So Jr. was going to do three tomorrow, but now he'll do two. Okay. And then um, Elizabeth will be here, and she and I 
Uh, we'll find some guests to join us uh, in the 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock hour, 5 o'clock hour. We'll go back and, and talk with uh, uh, J.R. Davis again. There's a lot of things to, to be discussing now. Uh, big article yesterday in the paper. I don't know if you saw him. We'll talk to, to uh, Kim Hammer about it here in just a moment. And that being that uh, there's about 23 Republicans here in uh, the Capitol, House and Senate, that have taken Grover Norquist's pledge to not raise taxes. So anything that somebody has been thinking about of raising highway taxes just on the legislative level is probably a no-go. Now, the, the, the governor has been pretty uh, adamant that if they were going to try to raise taxes for roads, he wanted it put on the ballot. And the people of Arkansas decide for themselves whether they want to, uh, you know, support a tax increase or not. Now, I will say that I think if they decide to put it on the ballot, it will have to be a very measured uh, piece of legislation to get people to support it. Because if it looks... If it's just one of those wacky uh, bills that are out there that will raise, um, you know, big amounts of money that perhaps are not necessary, you will have a rough time being uh, being, they, being passed. They, they might figure out a way to use some, what do they call it, carefully crafted language. Yeah, well, they always, you know, everybody's acting like that's supposedly something new. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. This. This has been going on since the Republic was put together. I mean, you know, let, let us not try to fool uh, ourselves uh, about that. It is what it is. But uh, because, you know, even back in the founding of the Republic, there were people who knew that there was power and, and, and uh, money to gain sure. from, uh, from the, the Republic. So... You know, keep that in mind. Yeah, crony capitalism isn't a new thing. Government being manipulated for the profit of other people is is has been going on for quite some time. Y- yeah, yeah. Uh, that's no that's no kidding. I mean, it's well, been happening forever. Yeah, I mean one one of the one of the the uses of jury systems, from what I understand, back in England or back in Europe, was because of the tax system that was kind of protecting certain businesses and. So they had smugglers that would smuggle goods in from other countries or whatnot, and to, to bypass the tax system, their, their their tariff system or whatever. And they they were they were doing this because of the apparently the protectionist policies that were that were there in place because the government was do a historical study of the Hudson Bay Fur Trading Company. That's all you got to do. If you want to see how far this goes back, that's before America, okay? <laughs> and uh, it, people were misusing and have misused their power from time immortal. It's the reason that the founders wrote the Constitution the way they did. is because they knew the fallen nature of man. Man was never, was never treated as somebody that could be trusted. Never. Ever, and the, the the idea that we we should automatically trust government to be our masters—that's dumb. 
Well, if you know anything about human nature, it is. I mean, it's it, it, the, the crazy thing about government. It, it seems to attract people who want to rule over their neighbors, as opposed to attracting those of us who actually want our neighbors to be free. And so the, the, the default is kind of the fact that those who want to have power seek power. And those of us who want liberty, we don't seek power. And so the, the, the deck is kind of stacked against us on some level. Well, of course it's stacked against freedom. You know, most people want to control people. I mean, you know, look, I've known that before I even got into politics, uh, you know, really paying attention to it and would see, uh, you know, that just the way it all shakes out in a day-to-day existence in your life. Well, a lot of people, they, they want what they perceive as being the, the, the easy way out of things. And so a lot of times people, if you give them a handout, they'll take it. Whereas some of us, you know, we don't want your free handouts. We want to make it on our own. We, we don't want government to come along and hold our hand and, 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 and just keep us safe from every little thing. We want government to allow us to be free. And, and instead of being our master, being our, our nanny that just takes care of us at every turn. All right. We're going to get a break in. We're waiting for Kim Hammer to join us. Uh, Senator will be here with us shortly, we're sure. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, we'll come back and talk to him. We're going to talk about freedom of speech with him. A lot of people um, getting uh, text messages now saying, you know, he's running this and how are people reacting to it? We'll talk about all of that when we come back here on Dave Ellswick Show. Live at the state uh, capitol on the House side on the third floor. Back after uh, we get some uh, bills paid. All right. We continue. I just got a message from Kim Hammer. He is on his way. He is walking his way over here now, here on uh, for the Dave Ellswick uh, show. You know, I'm just, I was just reading some stuff here about uh, Johnny Carson. He was on for 30 years uh, for the Tonight Show, and of course Ed McMahon from the very first show would always introduce Johnny Carson with his drawn-out, here's Johnny. All right. He would do that. Uh, He was inspired, by the way, to do that uh, uh, over-emphasized intro uh, by a reporter by name of Robert Pierpoint on the NBC radio network program Monitor. Uh, he did that, and so he, you know, did did his whole thing as as well. Never met, uh, you know, Johnny Carson, but I did meet Ed McMahon. Uh, Skitch Henderson was the head of the 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 band and and whatnot. Uh, he had all kinds of guest hosts that uh, would be on. Uh, some of the big uh, uh, people that he have on. Uh, James Randi was on. Uh, the skeptical activists that came on uh, uh, when Yuri Geller was around. It was a huge, huge show uh, showing how he showed uh, Geller how, uh, or showed the, 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 the viewers how Geller was bending the spoons. If you remember, that was his big deal. He could bend spoons just by thinking, and he showed how 
he was screwing people out of the whole thing. He really was into it. But the bottom line, pretty interesting stuff about Johnny Carson. Uh, he was a great one. I mean, people used to watch Carson every, every night. But here comes the senator. He's going as fast as he can possibly go. He's finding that it's, it's difficult to rock through the halls without being stopped by someone. <laughs> and you were, weren't you? How many uh, times did you get stopped before you got here? Between here and those doors on the other side, yeah. probably about three times. That's what I'm saying. So, you know. I understand. So Tom Coburn was just here uh, in the last half hour talking about the Convention of the States. Evidently, he's meeting with uh, the senators right now over in the uh, Supreme Court, old Supreme Court chambers. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. There is a meeting going on. Um, you know, I'm not sure I'll get down to it, but I know that the headwind is building. It looks that. like it's it's got a real chance. Gary Stubblefield was here, said he thinks this year it will pass. And, you know, uh, everybody wants everything done now uh, when they have an idea, and I respect that. Uh, but in this world down here, you kind of like a garden. You plant a seed, you know, in the spring and maybe in the fall you'll get the harvest. Uh, along the way, you try to nurture the crop until finally it's able to be harvested. And so I think uh, on some of these issues that we deal with, you got to look at a long-term game strategy instead of a just a acute situation. Yeah, it's been going on for a long time. Was it Nate Bell that brought it front? I think forward first. I think about eight. Yeah, I think in my first term uh, in the House uh, was when it first surfaced. You know, uh, and, and started getting attention. And, and then Gary's every, been doing it for the last four years. Yeah, every every session it gains a little more momentum. Okay, well, that's so, good. Yeah. Well, and, and some people have strong opinions on both sides of it. Um, I think that it is uh, our forefathers revealed their uh, brilliant mindset, you know, when, when that was uh, put into place to make sure that the states uh, have some authority in uh, dealing with federal issues that don't seem to get the attention otherwise. I'm not so much worried about the Arkansas delegation as much as I am some of the other delegations around the state, that around the nation, that, that don't have the the common sense approach that ours do. Like the, like the Republicans out, uh, up there in, in New York State uh, who jumped in with a bunch of Democrats yeah. and gave us a, an abortion law that was a, not just a step back, but a step back of a step back. You know, and uh, uh, Republicans should be defined by action, not by a letter. And I think that's where you've got to take it case by case because, uh, and as time goes on and uh, I think that's one thing you've got to continue to guard against is, uh, um, you know, anybody, anybody, if somebody can hang an R on their name in order to just get elected, but yet are something else, then I think you have to give uh, time and action opportunity to reveal, you know, who those individuals really are. Okay. So I got to talk to you about uh, your Senate bill, freedom of speech. Yes. How's it being received? Um, it is uh, like any other piece of legislation down here that touches a, uh, a constitutional issue. Uh, we had a rather lengthy meeting this morning, about an hour and a half on it. I think uh, when it's all said and done that we are going to you know, advance it uh, further than it is. I would maybe use the analogy um, that it's going to uh, kind of like receiving the ball on the 20-yard line. I think we're going to get it down within field goal range and uh, possibly into, you know, into the end zone. But down here, you, you drop an idea like process going so when you sit down with somebody you talk to them and say well this is what it's intended to do and this is how it does what you know it's written to do and and then you you know for example what if you got a student that drops the f-bomb of that extreme uh 
uh, coverage mm-hmm. for somebody that does that, and how would you go about addressing that? So some of it's just the back and forth and getting right. it, you know, getting people well, educated to, up to, to speed to on it. To some extent, and while I tend to think that foul language <clears throat> probably should be quali- should be a part of free speech, that's not really part of your bill because a lot of that, some of that foul language is already illegal from a public, public profanity standpoint with some of the laws in place. So, so yours may not be really the bill to deal with that because there's already other statutes or ordinances in place. And that's the overlay to it. You know, what is already covered elsewhere, um, you know, what's being touched, what's not being touched. You know, somebody brought up an issue a while ago that's, you know, was expressed to him. You got a student going down the hall and uh, say their shorts are too shorts, but, you know, and, and they go to get corrected. Is that covered under the free speech? Because, hey, that's, hey, that's my expression of, uh, that's my method of expressing it. So it's, it's making sure that the bill does what it's intended to do, and that is give that student that's sitting in a classroom in a college environment somewhere underneath the influence of a liberal professor, and that college student says, hey, I disagree with that, uh, and that college professor not have the ability to utilize their position against them because this law would give that student that protection. By the same token, and, and this is the bigger issue about free speech, uh, you can't write it just to flavor one side of the no, other or to ev- favor one side of the other. Everybody gets it or nobody gets it. Everybody gets the coverage, and that's that's the uncomfortable part, but that's you know that's what free speech is about. You yeah. know? That's where you use your other influences to um, you know try to change people's mind, get them to see the way, see the light, whatever you want to say, and, and you utilize other means to go. But you got to have that protection out there for free speech because if you don't have free speech, you ain't got nothing. Else. Right, so, so I guess we, we hear from time to time that we've got kids that might want to maybe hold a sign on campus somewhere or maybe just pass out flyers. And sometimes they're being um, kind of stuck back in a corner somewhere into this, this is our free speech zone where you have your 47 square feet or whatever it is where you can actually say what you want to say and pass out flyers, but nobody has to listen to you. But, you know, I might be okay with that. If that was equal treatment to whoever is opposite of the other side, that they mm-hmm. only have 47 square feet and not 4,700 square feet. And that's where that's where it gets hard to police. So, you know, you you do one, you give you, you, you approach free speech in that everybody gets equality and made the best argument and the one that is, uh, for, for my purposes, you know, the most conservative win. Um, and, and that to me is what the bill is intended to do let's just make sure the playing field is level and then let each side advance their cause on on equal footing are you getting much pressure from the universities on it you know honestly um i haven't had just a terrible amount of pressure from the universities there's one that will remain anonymous for privacy purposes that you know we've been in probably more discussion but they are kind of the ones that have been uh, appointed, if you would, by everybody else to kind of work on behalf of all the other universities. But to that same token, um, no disrespect to anybody, but the reality is you might trust one more than you would the other. So if you if you leave too much latitude in it, um, you know, after we're voted out or we term out or it's a new you know leadership down here mm-hmm. and everything you want to make sure that after the door closes behind you that that you still have good strong legislation in place uh, to provide that that free speech now is there other bills that are out there uh, that are looking at freedom of speech as well that the, you're aware of there's about four and they all kind of come at it from different angles and different um levels of strength if you would as far as if you want to use the use the meter you know 
solid conservative to the to the, all the way to the right conservative to you know moderate to middle um so there yeah there are i think three or four out there that are all you know hitting around the issue okay that should tell all of us that there's uh there's some legitimate questions about what have been going on at our college campuses there is definitely an interest to bring a level of uh, free speech opportunity to everybody on our college campuses but you also have to this you know we even had an issue brought to us about the schools in the prison system which quite honestly everybody that that i know of that's working on their individual free speech bill that that wasn't even really on anybody's radar screen but you know you drop a bill like this and it's kind of like you know throwing a stick of dynamite in the pond Mm. fish are going to (laughs) float and and so it has forced the discussion and brought about you know issues that that uh, we've got to take a look at how we're going to resolve it without giving up so go ahead right Right. we have 50 seconds so so does your bill primarily deal with sort of like retaliation from professors against students is that kind of mostly what it would address says? that it would address that yeah it, it would address that so that um and it, hey you know it could be a conservative uh professor limiting a liberal's right. opinion in classroom too that you know if i had make me king for a day i'd probably address it differently but in democracy you have to uh, provide that opportunity, and then if you have a good, solid argument, and people are willing to be open-minded and listen, you you persuade them and change them forever. All right, let's take a break. We got to get to the news, see what's going on there. Senator Kim Hammer is uh, with us. When we come back, let's talk about some different legislation that's uh, raised its head and what he thinks about it when we return. All right, we are here at State Capitol. Uh, Senator Kim Hammer has joined with us. Good to have him with us. So I'll I'll take it back with you on one more thing about uh, the freedom of speech. You said, you know, we're going to be in field goal range, maybe even be able to punch it into the end zone. Uh, Where are some of the areas that are are holdups, do you think, Kim? I think... When it, when it looks to in violation of it, would it be a civil action? Would it be a criminal action? Uh-huh. I think that is, you know, that that's still a subject of, of debate on that. You know, the, you know, there there's kind of three key players when you talk about free speech and you involve the college campuses, um, and that's just one aspect of it. Uh, but, you know, you've got the student sitting in there who wants to express an opinion, but the professor is saying, you know, indirect or indirect terms, if you do, you're going to pay a price for it. Okay? Yeah. And then you got the professor who wants to make a statement, but the administration says, well, no, you're not. Yeah. Or if you, you know, do, you're going to pay a price. You're going to pay a price for it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then you got the administration that has the, the responsibility of balancing uh, free speech. Uh, holding individuals accountable and the policies by which they're going to operate that and facilitate that. You know, so when you talk about free speech on campus, um, you know, you've got that. And then I'm going to throw the fourth one in there, the parent that's paying the bill. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody's paying the bill on that. And if I pay for my kid to go to college and I find out that, you know, a uh, administration or professor is, uh, uh you know, punishing my child because he has a different opinion with others in the classroom or the professor or the position of the university as a whole, which, honestly, they brought some of this on themselves because they have tried to direct free speech into a, a direction where it's it's only, you know, acceptable if it meets 
the standards of the university or the professor over the classroom. Yeah, can't upset anybody. That's right. crazy. Well, it's you can't upset anybody, but you get to a position where you can't have disagreement with somebody mm-hmm. and do it in a respectful manner. Right. And and to me, that's part of what you want on the. You ought to have that in the classroom, and that is you you have two different opinions in there. Make the make the game rules fair, or make the rules of the game fair, where you can express it, and then if you're right through the power of persuasion and fact and data, and 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 history proving itself out and all those other things, then let individuals make up their mind. But if you tilt the scales to where it's, you know, favored to one side or the other, uh, to me that's an unfair system, and I think that's what we're trying to bring is balance to the playing field. All right, let's change uh, topics a little bit. Interesting article yesterday in the Demgas dealing with highways and taxation. And I think it said 23 legislators didn't say whether they were House members or if they were uh, Senate members, but that they had signed on to Grover Norquist's uh, no new taxes uh, uh, pledge and said that they would not go along with raising taxes on on highways. This, I think this plays in perfectly with what the, the governor has been wanting to do. He said that he didn't want to vote new taxes in. He wanted to give the people of Arkansas the, 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 the ability to determine if they want to raise uh, taxes. seems to me that perhaps that would mitigate anything that, that comes out. Would you agree as far as cost? That if you know you got to take it right in front of uh, the voter and let them vote on it, that they probably would not vote for a really aggressive tax uh, to be implemented? Okay, a couple thoughts on that. One is um, you want to take it, you know, we get looked at as the legislator as being the first point to stop anything like that from yes. happening. Um, you know, and we get, we get, um, you know, beat up sometimes because if we let something like this go through, then the uh, comment is going to be, well, outside special interests are going to come in. They're going to flood the, you know, airways and everything with reasons why you ought to do it. And the organized side that would oppose any tax like that doesn't have the resources to do that. Uh, so that's that's that side of the argument. Um, the other side of the argument is if the people want it, give them an opportunity to vote on it. And then it becomes their decision if they want to or not. The, the some of the challenges is some of the challenges are getting good, accurate information out to the public so they can make an educated decision. Correct. And that'll be that'll be a hurdle. I mean, that's where you come in and other media outlets, you know, to to put the facts out there. The problem is you got the guy working forty, sixty hours a week out there that's doing good just to, you know, stay focused on his job. And right. how do they get all that other information? So. You know, you got you got two sides of the issue. In my personal opinion, referring it out to the people is not necessarily a blanket endorsement that says we agree there ought to be a tax, but it is an opportunity to put it before the people and let the people self-impose it if that's what they want. I will say there there's a lot of I think there are growing concerns that our highway system um, is in need. You know, repair, especially when you get to the secondary, what I call the secondary highways, not the not the interstate system, but the other state highways. Mm-hmm. Um, highway transportation transportation department is under constant scrutiny as to whether or not they're spending what they have wisely. I think that's 
you know, and and leg audit. What people need to remember, and maybe they forget, is leg audit actually went through and did pretty much a line by line audit of the transportation department, determining if their best practices are in line with what other areas are doing. And for the most part, that you know that substantiated the transportation department that they are doing a good job with what they've got. Some of those variables too are like, you know, you you've got the winter. You remember the winter several years ago where we had an excessive winter and it, it busted their budget, you know, because they had to right. do a lot more on it. Um, so at, at the end of the day, we can we can stop it uh, or we can just put it in front of the people and say, you decide. Okay, so my, my and I've asked this question before when you were over on the House side. Is it a good time before you decide to even put an initiated act in front of the people to perhaps look at the, the way we allocate money for the highways and change the antiquated ways that we have with this commission and come up with something new. I think that'd be a fair request to make sure that whatever they are entrusted with has the uh, maximum potential to make sure they're spending as wisely as possible and as fairly as maybe, possible. Maybe base it more on usage rather than just the, the, the district that somebody happens to be living in or something like that. Well, so it's uh, the argument of chicken and the egg. I mean, I would say that the commission is uh, the chicken and the money for that goes into the roads are the eggs that you're going to break to, to do that. And, I mean, I realize that the rural area needs money to uh, be able to get their products to the market. However, I'm not sure that they need four-lane superhighways to do it. I mean, that's some of the questions that I have. Sure, and that and that comes back to best practices when it comes to, you know, based on based on need, return on investment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do know they've looked at methods of maintaining the road to try to minimize the preventive maintenance cost of it so much by doing different techniques. Um, so I, I do know they have looked, you know, in those areas and those have measured up to best practices based on what the industry is doing in, in other parts of the nation. Um, do, do we need uh, from Benton, Arkansas to Sheridan, Arkansas, uh, a three lane with a center turn lane, um, you know, that being a heavily traveled, traveled area. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think if we can keep the politics out of it and keep the best practices and, you know, scientific data, other data that, that makes it hard to argue against it, that's the best thing you can hope for. And then that way the money is concentrated to the areas where it really needs it. Uh, the one thing, too, that has been messaged throughout this whole debate is this. Uh, nobody wants to pay any more federal taxes than they have to. But at the same time, if we if we don't, you know, we've got to we've got to be able to draw down as many of those federal dollars as we can. And there is an economic of are we shooting ourselves in the foot because we're not able to draw it down? Well, some would say you're you know, you're supposed to defend all my tax dollars, state and federal. Granted, that is true. I agree with that. Um but the federal delegation has to fight their battle. We've got to fight our battle. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll come back, finish up our discussion with uh, Senator uh, Kim Hammer here on the Dave Ellswick Show, live from the Capitol, third floor, house side. Back in a moment. All right. We are on the third floor, house side of the uh, uh, Capitol. And, yes, they allow the senators to come on this side of the uh, the Capitol as they allow the House members to go on to the the Senate side. 
do you guys meet in the middle of somewhere when you're working together on on bills and you got the you know the joint meetings that you have to have we don't have a designated room usually somebody will just you know grab a conference room and uh, as it relates to whatever the particular issue is those that are um, you know need to be included in the discussion they you know we just circle up and you know grab our office or grab a conference room and okay. you know just get together and work it out okay so how how does that work out now with the new i mean how many new legislators on the house side do you guys have there's there's far more there than there are on the senate side um you know i'd have to have my cheat sheet seemed like it was in the in the 20s you know that um that they've they've got uh, you know quite a few new ones down there and and everything i've heard which i've been busy on my end no disrespect uh, you know uh to to the other end but uh um, you know, from out of here, they're 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 ahead of the learning curve, and um, you know, and progressing quickly. So that's that's good for the citizens too. That you got some, you know, quick learners down here that can get ahead of the learning curve and get in the game. Because I remember, you know, first time I got elected, and you're thrown into a general session as a freshman. They can prep you for everything you got and give you as much orientation as you can get. But the reality is, once you're in the fire, you're in the fire, and <laughs> you're just trying to stay afloat. Yeah. You know, so I can, un- I can understand that. So we talked a little bit about highways. We talked a little bit about highway taxes. What are some other areas that we may see some budding of heads here at the, at the Capitol? Um, there are, well, some, you know, of course, the ones that the governors are, you know, the governor has, you know, put in his package. I don't know there'll be budding of heads as much as is just making sure that everybody's on the same page and clear understanding what it's done, you know, with the um, government consolidation and how that's going to affect the agencies and making sure that we're not stepping off into something that we're going to regret two to four years later. Right. Um, so, you know, you've got that. Of course, the, the tax bill, uh, the or, I mean, the uh, highway uh, proposed tax bill had, uh, had to my knowledge, last check hadn't, hadn't been filed yet, but, I mean, it's in the works and everything. Um, then you've got, you know, Bob Ballinger has introduced a bill on minimum wage. Um, some legitimate points to that. You know, people voted for it overwhelmingly. So there's going to be some real discussions, you know, that are going to take place around that and look at all the, you know, uh, uh, positives and negatives on that. And, and, you know, the bill's out there. So, you know, you got to talk about it now and, and take it forward. Um, you know, gun legislation, um, I, don't, I don't know that there will be uh, well, I, I, I know red flag is probably going to come up. Uh, that will be, you know, that will be a uh, probably a. That hasn't been filed. Yet. Has not been filed yet. Uh, that'll probably be a. The red you know, flag bill has been filed. No, oh, it has oh, been. I'm no, sorry. No, I'm no, sorry. No, 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 no. The red flag has not been filed. No, yet. Letting, no. letting and and yeah. uh, Will Bond haven't filed that. Yet. Not be, that I'm aware, but to come up. You almost have to check yeah. it. Daily. Hour by hour, yeah, now, yeah. you know, to see what's what's dropping in there. Matter of fact, I'll check it. Um, you know, so so that potentially could come up and then you know the case of uh you know open carry and i know that a judge has ruled but you know is that something that needs to be looked at in order to get it cleaned up so it can be settled once and for all and move on so you know that may have some you know that may have some discussion that will go with it i'm sure um and then you just got to get through the budget and revenue stabilization act um you know and that's a process budget hearings have already started and you know it kind of starts off slow mm-hmm. the other thing is there's an expectation as far as how long we're going to be down here you know working longer days to get a shorter session and i personally 
I want to make sure we're efficient. I want to make sure we're effective. And I don't want to make sure, too, we don't have anything slip in at the last minute um, that in a rush to get out of here, something we have a, a repeat experience that none of us really want to have. Um, I would say the tone around here among the legislators is that we don't want to repeat any of history that we have had to overcome. And I think that's a good thing. You know, history teaches you a lot of lessons, whether you learn from it or not. Today's actions will reveal that. Uh, I kind of sense that nobody wants to go that way, and leadership doesn't want us to go back that way either. Okay. Sounds fair. I'll let you get out of here. All right. I appreciate I it always. So you busy, busy man now. Well, just. Oh, when are you going to run the uh, the salute to the Bryant football? Uh, that is coming up. Uh, i got to check. I think that's next week. We'll have the okay. Bryant. Yeah. Yeah. State champs down here. here. Yeah, they're going to be down here on the House end and then on the on the Senate end and everything. So hmm. yeah, they'll, they'll be in the building. So, so you can stand up there and let your buttons pop a little bit. Well, hey, uh, it's not about me. It's about it's about a team that that uh, you know that proved well and did well, and uh, you know, so make it about the kids, not about us adults. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Kim. We Thank appreciate you. you for coming by. We'll be in touch with you. Anything you need to talk to us about, let me know. All right, we've got about seven minutes before we get to the top of the hour. Uh, Joe is here. Come on over, Joe. We can put you on a little earlier right now. We had covered everything with the senator. And uh, Joe and Duck will be with us in the next hour, even though we come to the Capitol. We allow these gentlemen to join us here and talk about cars and all the rest. You clean up well, man. You look yeah. good. Duck won't make it today. Oh, he's not going to be here uh, today. You're going to just be stuck with me. So. Well, that's okay. How you? How's your health doing? You've been. You struggled a little bit with that. I'm doing all right. All right. Is yeah. the business doing okay? Is yeah. Everybody got done with the flu. I think so. Susan's getting <laughs> over it, and she's the last one. So they had it run through the whole. Oh wow. Uh, garage over there. Yes, we did. On, that's uh, no fun. No, it's uh, Linda. I was talking to her this morning. As we just woke up and, you know, you have a little small talk before you jump out of bed and hit the floor running. And she goes, man, my stomach's hurting me. And I looked at her and go, you don't have the flu, do you? <laughs> First thing came out of my mouth. You don't think you got the flu. You didn't throw up last night, did you? No. Okay, I feel better now. Yeah. You're not running a fever, right? No. Ah, I feel even better now. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to stay well. That's what I wanted to. So... Uh, what are some things that we should take into consideration coming up uh, for the next hour? What are some things that you're running into right now? Uh, I'm going to say with the cold weather we're having, it's uh, heater cores, heaters not working properly, uh, coolant leaks and issues due to, you know, colder weather, like uh, what water pump seals don't leak when it's 80 degrees outside will leak when it's 25. Okay. Because the rubber gets hard and the seals draw up. Yeah. So things like that as far as, you know, antifreeze, freeze point, and just the normal stuff. If you hadn't checked it by now. Batteries. Yeah, batteries too. <laughs> yeah, batteries Absolutely. Don't, don't like cold weather very well, do they? No. no. It'll that's bring weird. out the worst in one, that's for sure. Yeah, and quickly, too. Yeah, I guess batteries don't like hot weather all that much either, do they? But the, the, cold, the cold makes them so they don't put the voltage out the same way. Well, the cold is, uh, you know, the expansion and contraction in the, in the plates in the battery. Okay. If they're a little bit weak and it gets 15 degrees outside, there's a good chance it's not going to crank that engine over. Mm. All right. It might crank it, but it might not be fast enough to start it. Yeah, start it over. That's yep. it. 
All right, well, we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thus far today, we've uh, had Tommy Land here, the Land Commissioner. We had Tom Coburn here, former senator of Oklahoma, talking about the uh, Convention of the States. Then we just had Kim Hammer on, senator uh, from down in the Bryant and Benton area. Uh, spend about an hour with us talking about what's going on over in the Senate right now. They've kind of hit the, the, the ground running uh, in getting some of the things that uh, the governor wanted done, uh, getting them underway. Whether the governor will be able to get them through could be a different story. I thought it was an interesting story yesterday talking about uh, the situation dealing uh, with all the people who signed um, the uh, paper about taxes and how that could cause uh, some problems here in in the state of raising highway funds. I think they're going to get around it by, you know, putting it on the ballot and letting the people decide if they want to vote it. They'll convince themselves that they can vote for yeah, that. But I will, I will say this. I think that when you got to put it on the ballot, it makes it a little bit more of a, a reality bill because you can't go out there and and ask just for the the moon and and the sun too and think that you're going to get enough votes to pass it. Um, so that might have um, a mitigating effect uh, on it. I don't know. People we'll sometimes do crazy things like raise the minimum wage. And in the end, cause themselves jobs. So uh, that's, you know, she mentioned that. We didn't get into that discussion. Bob was busy today and wasn't able to come on. Maybe next week we can get him. You know, that was voted on by the voters. He's trying to get it changed Mm -hmm. uh, legislatively because it's going to have some really dire consequences for small business here in the state. What do you do when you know that you got a small business out there and if you're telling people they got to pay $11, $12 an hour and if they do that, puts them out of business? Yeah, we'll, we're going to be talking about that in the future. But from what I'm hearing, uh, Senator Ballinger taking some heat about that. So we'll talk to him, though, about it next week. We'll get him in this week. Let's take a break. Come back. Joe and I will uh, discuss cars and probably... A bunch of sundry other things here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we are moving into the 4 o'clock hour. We are at the state capitol. A lot of uh, work has been going on, which means I hope that you have firm control of your wallet. When they're here and they're meeting, <laughs> you should have your hand over your wallet. I'm just saying, there's money being talked about somewhere. And it's usually your money. Yeah, well, it's not theirs. It, it can basically, well, they act like it's theirs. Well, once they get it, it's theirs. <laughs> That's the key. It's the acquisition so it of the works. money. So Joe's here. Duck has not uh, been able to make it today. Is he under the weather? No, he's dealing with some things at the shop, Dave. No, we know how that goes. Yeah. You know, when you're the head of a of a business, you got to be there to run the business. Actually, you, you're it's a 24 Seven job, yeah, three sixty five. I always like what you talk about when you say when mm-hmm. you come in every day and you turn the lights on, mm-hmm. you're in the hole. I'm in the hole and working to get out of it. Yeah, you got to make enough money to look at it. pay the electric bill. You got to make enough money to 
keep yep. your uh, your guys that are uh, your workers happy that they're making enough money to stay where they're at and mm-hmm. all the rest that goes on for it. Yes. It's, uh, you know, it, it's a job that never ends. You know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, if the alarm goes off, you're the guy that goes down there to see what's going on. And if, if you get there before the police, you're the guy with the gun in your hand. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's your business. It's your job to protect it and take care of it. Yep. And if anything goes wrong, it's up to you to figure out how to fix it and get it back in operation as soon as possible because, you know, you're responsible for everybody that works for you. Correct. You have to keep them busy and keep them working. you got to have a good facility with, you know, good utilities and everything running like you're supposed to. Yeah, you got to have all that because these guys want to make money, and they depend on you to keep everything working mm-hmm. uh, in an efficient manner so they make money and can take care of their families. You, you know, people don't realize you as a business owner, you think about the people that work for you and how you can help take care of them. We we are reevaluating our uh, health care policy, and uh, we're going to change that, and we're doing that because it's going to save me and my employees money with yeah. the same coverage. Good. And so we're working on changing uh, companies and doing some stuff there, and uh, we've made some changes this year as far as uh, uh, the credit card processing coming on board with a new company and uh we're gonna start charging uh three percent on every credit card purchase just like if you call the state of arkansas and try to use a credit card they charge you three percent yeah the feds do it everybody's do it the county seats do it everybody so you know it, it, it's a coming trend and that's what the car, credit card companies are going to now well the bottom line is pay the processing fee on the that's swipe. right you got you got to pay that and it it's not right for you to pay that and and lose your profit because all of those commercials you see if you get this card you get three percent earn back or four percent that's how they're doing i'm paying that yeah that's how they do it i ain't paying anymore okay so with that in (laughs) mind okay with that in mind we were talking during the break yes sir about how the the minimum wage the mandatory yes mandatory minimum Mm -hmm. wage law if affects you as a small business owner and you were talking about you want to know who's making money on this? I can and, explain. And you talk to I'm going to let you I guarantee talk you. to my listeners about it. Go ahead. It's real simple. If you have an employee and you have to give him a $1 an hour raise, that equates to $1,920 per year. All right? He's going to pay extra tax on that $1,920 worth of income. I'm going to match the funds for his Social Security and stuff. So that gives the Social Security a raise. But the federal and the state government, they get to tax that new income. They get to take more tax bite out of that income. So if you make a small business pay his employees more, then he has to raise his prices to offset that. And then the consumer that buys those products is going to pay more for that product. So the people of Arkansas, when they voted for that, all they did is give the state and the federal government a raise. They didn't help themselves one bit. Right. In my opinion, because I, I'm a kind of guy that I've been in business for since 1986 for myself. And you know what? It's kind of like it's real simple. If I have a job, I know how much I can afford to pay a guy to do that job and make money. And the state and the federal government, they have no idea because they've never run a business like mine. Mm-hmm. But I know what it costs to do that job. And I know how much I can pay to have that job done and right. still make a profit. Well, see, I always had a problem. And that's wrong. With that, with that particular vote that went down, I don't understand how 
that could be constitutional because you're allowing the average Joe that has no money in this at all mm-hmm. to determine how much you, the person who knows how much you can pay a person and still you know keep them on the payroll and keep the doors open. Uh, do you, I mean I just don't understand it? Yeah, they they'll see some businesses close. Yeah, that's what I'm I saying. I promise you, they're going to force they're going to force people to pay more than they can pay. Yeah, you, you take a, you take an employee that's just just on the borderline of of being productive and profitable for a business. Yeah, making it. He's not going to have a job because you're going to kick him over if you got to give him a dollar or two dollar an hour raise. So he's making ten. He's got to go to eleven or twelve. Hey, it's it's gonna it's gonna force him out. Then he's not gonna have a job. Why people can't see that? Because to me, that's just that's as plain as the nose on my face, and my nose is pretty noticeable. But but you know, and, and a lot of people don't realize that a one dollar an hour raise is equates to two thousand dollars a year, plus my matching funds on it. Uh-huh. Okay, so if you look at it like that, and if you had a business and you had four or five employees that were making ten dollars an hour let's just say five that's ten thousand dollars duh dave think about that yeah which tends to make you make a decision can i afford five when it's it's all said and done he's going to be down to about three and them other three are going to have to work harder yeah because they're going to pick up the the jobs exactly right and then the price of the product's going to go up too and so the average consumer out there is going to pay that extra price Plus, he's having the employers having to match those matching funds, and and it it's I, I don't I don't think it was really probably put to the public in the right way before that. No, vote. it wasn't. It it's wasn't never explained, explained to them. Never. never. It's never explained. Even the people who run a bill like that understand that it's not the average Joe or Joette that's out there that's making the money. Hmm. They're just not doing it. It's it's just bizarre. And of course, you were saying to me, "Hey, they take it all the way up. I'm my people are still making more money." Than oh, I'm not. None, none of my employees make less than that. You know, I've got some in there to make thirty plus an hour, close forty dollars an hour. That's good. You know, and they but, should but, because but they got a marketable skill. If you look at it from you know a restaurant standpoint, and and you've got you know. Other than waiters, but the restaurant staff, where you got dishwashers and you got cooks and you got this, that, and other, and busboys and all that, hey, it's going to affect the price of food yeah. in the restaurant. I promise you, the price of a hamburger is going up. Or they got to figure out some way to do it automated, where they can get, they don't have to pay that. And you know what that means? Automation they, means you need no fewer job. people. That's it. The way it works. There'll be people that will lose their job out of this because of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just going to cost too much money. But you got it back to my point. The state and the federal government got a raise. Yeah, yeah, they're making they more money. They push this. Sure, they're making more money. That's correct. Although I will say that I, to mm-hmm. the benefit of our governor, he tried to, he, he said this is not a good deal for the American worker. It's not. You know, Lieutenant Governor said the same thing. Just about every Republican here in mm-hmm. the Capitol said this is not good, and it's not good for businesses. All right, let's get our first break in. Do that. Joe is here. If you got a question, 
uh, about your car. Uh, if you'll let Russ know when you call in at 823-0965, he'll text me your question, and then I can uh, get it over to Joe, and, and he'll try to answer it uh, for you. So let's get our break in here on the Dave Ellswick Show on uh, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, Kevin in Little Rock is with us. Got a 2003 Toyota 4Runner. Kevin, how are you, and uh, what's going on? I'll let uh, Joe help you out. Hey, well, how you doing? check engine light came on and took it to the dealership. They said it was a catalytic converter, and so they wanted like $2,000 to do that. So I was wanting to know if that's a reasonable price. Well, it's a little bit high, I can tell you that. Uh, what code you have in there is a CAD efficiency code. Now, you got a 03 Toyota 4Runner. What's the mileage on that? 391000 Oh, good for you. Yeah, that's excellent as far as taking care of it. But, you know, I- I'm going to tell you a few things, okay? Okay. You could probably get the cats replaced aftermarket a lot cheaper than that, okay? Okay. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm going to need a little more information off your vehicle, which means I'd lead, need to look at the emission sticker on it, see if it's federal or California emissions. But I know that you can buy a cat set, set up for that for less money. But you're going to come back to a, another issue that I want to talk to you about. If those cats are just inefficient and it's causing the light come on, you can still drive the vehicle. But it'll bring the light Correct. on, so you won't know if something else is going on. But the problem with the vehicle with almost 400,000 miles on it, if you put a new set of cats on it and say that vehicle is using a little bit of oil between oil changes, you might damage your new cats. Now, you can put high-mileage oil in there, and it's got some additives in it and detergent in it that help when it burns that oil to help keep it from stopping up those cats. But when those cats start working and cooking that uh, fuel that goes through there and, the, and a little bit of oil, if it's burning it, you could create a problem of, of, of a restriction in there, okay? Okay. And then you just get you just get a, Correct. a, 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 a light on your dash again yes and but but the problem is if it restricts it and stops it up you're gonna you've spent this money for nothing okay so like yes. i said it, it comes on and then after you restart the car five times it goes off and it might come <laughs> on again uh, a week later well what it is it testing that and and you know there's a test for that you can put those o2s on a graph and i'd be wanting to look at that also look at the o2s make sure they're switching right make sure you don't have uh, a fuel management problem where it's running a little bit too rich or something like a dribbling injector something of that nature but if you cycle the key off and start it again and like you said it may come on and go off because it's checking that cat when when you're cruising down the highway it checks it and it's got a set of parameters in there now some manufacturers and, and this is another thing we can investigate some manufacturers on an updated flash for an older vehicle with higher mileage they'll widen the parameters up so that cat may not turn the light on again so it might require a reflash to do that, okay? Okay. You got a few options. Now, I don't know if uh, Toyota explained it to you or just said you got a bad cat and it's two grand. What are you going to do? You know, yeah, that's exactly what that's they what do. They do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they can fix anything with two grand. So, you know, I would bring it in and, uh, and get a second opinion, whether you bring it over to my place or one of the other bumper-to-bumper certified service centers. That's what I'd do. I'd get a second opinion on it and a price on some cats aftermarket. But you need to tell them that you would like them to check it to make sure that it is the cat and it's not a fuel management problem, okay? 
Okay, thank you. All right, welcome. hope that helps you, you out. Appreciate Kevin. Yeah, Joe give you all the information. Most other places don't share all of that with you. Well, you know, the, I, I I don't know what to say about that other than you know it's you know a lot of manufacturers you take it in on an older vehicle like that. He's lucky that Toyota's even looking at that. Uh, a lot of manufacturers, if they're over ten years old, they won't even look at them. They don't want them on the lot. And uh, you know, just too much hassle. Well. GM, Chrysler, Ford, a lot of them just turn them away. Said, "Nah, it's too old for us. We don't work on that. And you have to go someplace else." But that's fine too. We like that. That's good. It gives you the business. It does. And you know, uh, I don't have a problem with that. But you know, a lot of them, their parts are the manufacturer doesn't support parts after about ten or twelve years. So if they wanted a replacement part for it, they'd be an independent trying to do it. So that's one reason they turn them away. Okay. You know, and you keep you that call mind. Ford, and if a car's 10, 12 years old, there's a 50% chance that part's uh, obsolete and it's unavailable through them anymore. Really yeah, is. I mean, That's fact. The, look, I, uh, I've got a uh, an SUV. I've got, it's been around since uh, it's 10 years old now. Mm-hmm. It's got nearly 300,000 miles on it. And uh, I had a, uh, a fuel injector go bad on it, and it poured fuel throughout the the system and encoded uh, a couple of the uh, catalytic converters. Mine had five on mm-hmm. it. Two of them it screwed up. So the lights on the on the dash. But guess what? Car was running fine. Yep. I don't. It doesn't bother me. You know, if I really, if it bothered me, I'd put a piece of black electrical tape right there. That way I wouldn't have to look well, at Well, most it. of the time, when, when you come in for service, Dave, I usually scan it anyway to yeah. see if there's any other codes in there. So if, if you're familiar with with a repair shop and you know the guy and, and you talk to him about it, you know, just like Kevin, he could drive that thing like that. It's got almost 400,000 miles on it. And, you know, I don't know what it's worth, but, you know, if you spend, spend two grand on that, just fix the cats. Uh, you better be willing be. to drive it for a while longer. That, and, you know, <laughs> the age of the vehicle says that it's probably ending near the end of its life. Yeah, anyway. 2003. Yeah. yeah. They they thought mine was near its end of its life. Mm-hmm. I just gave it a heart transplant. Yeah, just get a bypass. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. It's still running, and it's still showing the And you mileage. don't owe anything on it, Dave. That's the key. That's it. I told you what I was going to do because yeah. I didn't want another car payment. Because it's not a car payment for five or six months. It's a car payment probably at the price of cars are for at least five to seven years. Me. Yeah, they're doing 72 months now. I know. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I I saw that that was coming a few years back when I started reading about in Germany. The the uh, average was uh, 10 years on mm-hmm. car payments on, yeah. a, on, a, on a car. Well, just figure it like this in your head. You, you're 16 when you get to drive, and let's just say that you live to be 76 years old. So if you made car payments on one car for 10 years, you spent one-tenth of your life making car payments on the same vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> and let's say you keep it, you know, and, uh, you know, I had it, my engine dropped in. It was just a tad over three grand. And uh, once I, I get it paid off, bottom line is this, I don't owe any more money. I don't have any That's car it. payments or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I can pay Joe back for all the other work he's doing on it. That's <laughs> <laughs> the way it kind of works anymore. It's just the way it seems to go. I mean, uh, but I go look at a new car and there's seventy, eighty thousand dollars. It makes you cringe. 
Some of them, some of them were higher than that, Joe. I know. I mean, if I went out and I bought being mid range, yeah. You know? If I went in and put and, and put money, wanted to buy a 2019 uh, Acura or whatever, or or uh, Acadia, yeah. you know, and lo- and and had the same stuff on that I got it now, mm-hmm. uh, it would probably run me close to sixty grand. Yeah. And when mm-hmm. I bought what I got, it was forty-two thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Yeah, I mean, you start talking eight thousand dollars or nine or eighteen thousand dollars mm-hmm. more. You're talking a significant amount of money. Oh yeah, it is. You know, yeah. it's it's funny they've got the cars uh, uh, manufactured. The price of cars got cotton picking high. They won't tell you what the price is. They tell you what the discount is when they advertise it. Isn't they won't it? tell you what the price That's is. That's true. They don't. <laughs> Think and, about and that. They, and they sell by. Monthly payments. Yes. You go in there and say, I can afford $500 a month. What can I buy? Yeah, that's kind you. of interesting. That's, that's the way it's done. That's not, if you're doing that, it's, that's the wrong way to do it. to me. Yeah, it really, that's not the good way of doing it. All right, 823-0965. 823-0965. You can call in and talk to us here. On uh, the Dave Ellswick Show, even though we're at the Capitol, you can ask your questions about your car. And before we go to the news, we got a minute here. Here, Let's talk about bumper-to-bumper parts and why you use them. Well, it's the quality of the parts, the service, the delivery, and, of course, naturally the price. We want the best possible price on a best quality part you can get, and bumper-to-bumper provides us with that. Uh, me and Duck are both bumper-to-bumper certified service centers, and uh, you know it, it's nice to have a partner that you can count on and trust, and and that they give a great warranty, two years, twenty-four thousand miles. If you use their credit card, you get three years, thirty-six parts and labor, and uh, I got the parts right here in town, Dave. Yeah, Big warehouse. That's what we like. They can get them for you the day that you call them, so that uh, mm-hmm. saves everybody time. All right, news is up next. After the news, we'll be back here from the Capitol. On the third floor, House side, I want to welcome you back to our live coverage of the 92nd uh, General Assembly. Just got a, I got a question for you. Do you have a problem with warts? Some people, uh, because it's a, uh, a virus, have real problems with that. And Applied Research of uh, Arkansas want to remind you that they have uh, new studies going on. They're ready to take action with you uh, in these new clinical studies that could wipe those warts away. Uh, participants receive free study-related care and medication as well as compensation for time and travel. Uh, apply online. Go to arcarkansas.com, arcarkansas.com. There's some pull-down uh, uh, things, pull them down and fill out the information and uh, see if you qualify. Or you can call them and talk to them about it at 501-954-7822. That's 501-954-7822, Applied Research of Arkansas. And this study specifically delves into warts and getting uh, how do you get rid of them, new, new types of uh, Medicines that they're testing over there at Applied Research. All right, Joe is here from Joe's Garage. He's taking your calls, 823-0965, Duck is at uh, his garage taking care of business there. He told me a couple of weeks ago, man, he's been inundated over there with uh, trucks. He's, mm-hmm. just, he's just buried, 
And how are things going for you? Is the same thing happening for you? Oh, yeah. I'm staying busy, Dave. Yeah. You know? That's uh, a good thing. Yeah, it is. You know, you, you think uh, the cold weather, like we were talking during the break, you know, the cold weather is coming. We might see some snow and ice here in the next week or so. And uh, makes me think of a few things that you need to check on your car, your wiper blades. That's number one. Yep. You know, I'm sure by now you've already checked your antifreeze. Otherwise, you'd already had an issue with it. You've been it, but, sitting on the side of the road, probably. Yeah. But it's still coming up. So, you know, if you hadn't checked it, you need to. Okay. Uh, it might not. We not really ain't seen no teams yet, but, you know, it's coming. Yeah, it's so. coming in the That's next right. few days. In yeah. fact, uh, right now... The uh, the wind chill is 17 outside. Mm-hmm. And so if it didn't freeze at 22, it will freeze at 17 if it's yeah. not the freeze points, not low enough on it. So need to check that. Tread, tires, it's very important. Slicker it is outside, whether it's snow, ice, or just wet asphalt from rain, uh, having good tread on your tires is very important. Which, which is better for cars for tread, uh, asphalt or... Um, concrete. I've heard that asphalt would you would think has better tread, but it has, since it's oil based, yeah. a little bit of that oil is mm-hmm. always leaking up, and it makes it slicker. Well, in my opinion, I think you get better traction on concrete. Okay, you know, uh, asphalt, like you said, it's oil based and it's made with petroleum products, and you know, anytime it gets wet, and and I think the asphalt absorbs. Like a car that leaks a little bit of oil or grease yeah. or something, it absorbs that. And then when it rains, it pushes it back up out. Now, concrete, I don't think it absorbs it. It washes it off. So okay. that's my opinion on the two surfaces. Okay. Just, I was just yeah. wondering about that. And, you know, a while back, you'll remember, because they do in an area by your uh, business, when you take a couple of those exits or entrances, they've grooved them to try to make them easier to grab onto mm-hmm. evidently they've decided that doesn't work all that well because i don't see it used that often anymore i don't either you know i think they did that originally because they didn't have the the surface of the highway at a steep enough angle where the water run off quick enough oh was that the reason? That, that's okay. my opinion you know and if it was too flat or it didn't run off because the run the way the water was you know going on to the surface they put the grooves in there to help, you know, give you a little more traction. But, okay. you know, the rumble strips, uh, I ain't a big fan of them. They got them on every two-lane road now. They got them on four lanes, too. Yeah. Uh, you get on. if And, you know, I would understand the rumble strips after you get onto the shoulder, not before yes, you get that, onto the that's shoulder. That's what bothers me. They put them on, on Highway 5. They got them right on the white line. Yeah. They put the rumble strips down, then they painted them. If they were on the outside of the white line, it would be better because I'm going to tell you, the, the rumble strips will actually pull you towards the strip. No, I, that I didn't realize. Yes, if, if you're driving and you hit the rumble strips right side, the car's going to go over that way a little bit. All right. And so I think that, uh, you know, if... if and, and, you know, just for the irritation of the sound, you know, because you get 18 wheeler them. on them things, and, boy, it makes a lot of noise. Yeah, it, it, so and it can jar you as it well. It had a little bit wider area there, so they didn't, you know, inadvertently hit the rumble strips. But. I'm going to make a prediction here that when they finish 67-167, mm-hmm. no one's ever going to hit the wall. 
because we've gotten so used to driving down those little narrow. narrow ones, and I don't <laughs> think that we'll ever hit the, the side of the big ones. Yeah, it'll be a wide road, that's for sure. Both sides yes. are going to be very yes. very wide, which tells me we'll have uh, a good uh, uh, shoulder, and that's yeah. good. You, when you pull off... And, look, I don't change my tire anymore. That's all built into my insurance. Mm-hmm. And I call somewhere, and they send somebody send out, roadside out. And, and, and fix it for me. Because i got to tell you what, I see those people getting out, changing tires, and and turning that thing and dropping the tire underneath. And it's raining, and they're crawling on their backs. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. If you're in your driveway at your house and it's level... That's okay policy, in my opinion. Yeah. If you're on the side of the road where it may not be level, unlevel, slanted right, left, up, down, front, back, whatever. Getting blown by the passing trucks. And you're changing uh, the tire that's got the the transmission, the drive axle, whether it's the rear-wheel drive or front-wheel drive. If you right. jack that up and that tire's off the ground, it'll roll. Yeah. And those Mickey Mouse jacks that come in these cars today. Yeah, a little tiny ones. dangerous. Saving. Got to save really that is. weight. Oh, yeah, it's very dangerous. Get a few extra feet per gallon. <laughs> Call, even if it costs you 50 bucks, get your tire put on it. Beats been sitting out there and having that car fall off the jack and hurt yourself, or you doing damage to some other part of the car or yourself. I, I just, you know, hey, I don't recommend anybody yeah. changing a flat. I definitely don't reckon, recommend it if there's trucks on the road with you. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, they come rolling back. Although I will give them credit, most trucks. We'll move to the other lane. Yeah, they'll they'll you move know, over and give you some get you some room. Yeah, you got some people that won't do it regardless. Matter of yeah. fact, they can see how close they can get. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've had that happen before, you know. and it's and that can that can give you some. Real draw up real tight. Some, yeah, it can give you nightmares. In fact, all right. Yeah. Let me let me get another break in here, Joe, and we'll come okay. back and we'll finish up. I want to talk about tires when we come back. Right. PI Roofing Home Solutions uh, have acquired. That means bought. Uh, Tommy's got, uh, gutter cleaning services, and if you've been a customer of Tommy's, uh, you can rest assured that PI Roofing is going to give you the same great quality gutter cleaning that you got used to with Tommy's at a great value to you and on top of that with that recent purchase by PI Roofing and Home Solutions uh, you customers of Tommy's gutter cleaning services get more now than just a gutter cleaning service you you call PI Roofing and you can then hook up with them and uh, get things taken care of on your roofs uh, comprehensive roofing and home repair expertise that they have because that's another thing they do now you don't have to have them do your your roof they'll come out and fix things in your house as well you can learn more by going to their website and that's piroofing.com yeah here at state capital on third floor over on the house side and you know uh, joe is here with us today we're talking about cars because your car is your best friend if your car is not running it causes you a whole lot of problems. You're walking. You know? <laughs> That's what you're having yeah. right there. You know, it's not like you are you got a horse or something. Just go out and give him a bale of hay. doesn't yeah. work that way. No. You know, cars last as long as you take care of them. And, and that's really important for people to remember. I mean, look, I do a lot of work with uh, Sonny's Auto Salvage as well. And uh, they do stuff with recycled auto parts. And... I'm going to just tell you, I'd rather buy a a part from them, a big part, 
you know, well, like you an know engine, engine or, or transmission, transmission yeah. or mm-hmm. or a rear differential or something like that, because the new ones are just too damn expensive. Yes, it's that simple. Are. I mean, very, very pricey. That's I am. Sure. I'm, I've saved fifty percent just about. I sat down and and did the analysis, and it's about fifty percent you can save. By going to Sunny's Auto Salvage, you should call them. If you got an engine that's going bad, if you've got a transmission that's going bad, if you got the big parts that you need, you can do it. Now, they'll do small parts, too. I mean, I'm, I still got a part coming from Sunny's, and then i got to go see Joe. Yeah, we're going to put your rear wiper arm on. Well, no. No, I'm going to put I'm going to put on my antenna. Oh, okay. So yeah, I can hear my so I can hear my radio your again. Will work, yeah. yeah. So I can hear all of that. But, <laughs> well, that that's both of them are directly due to one place. You know yeah, that, that, don't you? Yeah, no, it's you your know car what? Wash. I have not been back. I don't blame you. I wouldn't I, go back. I'm here. not going back to see them. Nine eight two seventy four fifty one is uh, Sonny's, uh you know, uh, phone number, and you just talk to R.D. or one of his uh, experienced staff, and they'll take good care of you. Nine eight two seven four. Five one. All right, we got ten minutes left here, Joe, and uh, let's talk about tires. You would say in tires and get a little bit of snow, a little bit of rain, and to say a little bit of rain falling in Arkansas here over the last few months is an understatement. Uh, I think we had probably another two inches last night. It rained like crazy. Yes, last it night. did. You know, we we have to. We got uh, concrete around that up above ground pool and it, it it sits there because we're on the the side of a ridge yeah so everybody's water above us coming is down coming to down to us yeah and i'm going to tell you what we run it we got little pumps mm-hmm. and we pump that stuff out they haven't probably haven't stopped them for more than a two, couple of days yeah for the last three months, yeah, it's it's been raining. It's it's crazy, you know. I I don't think I've seen it rain this much like into last year, into the beginning of this year. Our water table's got to be way up, Dave. Well, you know, should mean we won't have any kind of uh, shortage of waters. No drought. No, they're not going to have a drought in California. Did you hear how much snow they got up in the yeah. Sierra Mountains? They're going to have mudslides. A hundred inches mm-hmm. of snow. A hundred inches of snow. Well, they'll have to wait for the mudslides to come in mm-hmm. the spring. Well, what I don't like about the rain in Arkansas is, I'm going to tell you, if you own a garage and you have to work on cars and every day you pull them in, they're oh, dripping they're wet. they're all wet. Yeah, it's keeping the floor clean. It's it's having to work on them and, and get them cleaned off. You're looking for a leak or something, and you go road test one that's pouring down rain. It makes our job harder, Dave. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter whether it's an oil leak, transmission leak. Everything under there is wet. So you're constantly drying and cleaning and then, you know, inspecting. And sometimes you got to do it two or three times instead of just once. So it makes our job harder with all the rain. All right. So let's talk about tires again. Uh, when should you start thinking about replacing your tires? Most tires today, Dave, have got two built-in features that the average person can check. They'll have wear bar indicators between the tread. And you can look at that and see when they're down to the wear bar indicator, the tires wore out. Okay. When they start getting close, you need to be thinking about it. Number two, you can also check the date on the tire. It'll be on there right after the DOT number. It'll have a four letters, four numbers stamped in it, like a 4018. That's the 40th week in 2018 when that tire was made. Okay. You're looking to replace those tires somewhere around the five-year mark. 
but it's got a lot to do with how you drive, whether you're on the highway, to how many miles you get, or if you're in town driving, and how well you maintenance and rotate the tires and keep the air pressures up on it and check the alignment periodically. You know, we went through a battle with you of 67, 167 with the construction. Oh, my God. And, you know, uh, we got to wear every other oil change. I'm checking your alignment. Yeah. And we've had, we've seen a big increase in your tread wear. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's working it's, better. Yes, it's working a lot better because of the construction on the roads. Well, I think I'll get, I'll have to come in here probably next week, week after trade mm-hmm. uh, change the oil again, and we'll rotate the tires. And probably that would probably be it for me. Yep. I mean, for that set of tires, you know, yeah. another, you know, 4,000 miles, 5,000 miles. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a hand-cook dealer. I'm on their program. I like hand-cooks. They're good quality tires. We've got a lot of other options. You know, I buy a lot of my tires from ATD. And uh, i got a house tire now. It's called Iron Man. It's a pretty decent tire. It comes with a built-in road hazard warning on them. So if you're in, I like that. If I mean, in, that's if good. You're, if you're into that, it's a good deal. And, you know, and as far as getting them warranty, it's an easy step because it's their house tire. You just got to take it over and show it to them. Say, you know, it's been punctured, it's damaged. Now, they'll, they'll warranty it right there and, and take care of it, which I like that. It's pretty good. All right. We got another caller. Okay. Let's get them in before we end up today. Uh, Bruce is in Greenbrier, and he's got a diesel, a 15 Duramax. Hey, Bruce, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show, and say hi to Joe. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Joe. Thanks. Uh, thank you guys for taking my question. I had uh, called last week and talked to Duck about my Duramax with a with an odor, and uh, we we got that taken care of. And he told oh, me good. before I hit one hundred and twenty thousand miles that I needed to call him. So I called his office. He wasn't there. I talked to another gentleman, and he said I need to replace my high lift pump. Um, from a three to a four, something like that. And my question is, surely Joe can answer it. I bought this truck used. How do I tell if that's already been done to the truck? Generally, you can look at it and see. Uh, you know, right. if, if if you crawl, if if you're looking at that pump, you can generally look at it and see if it's been done. But a lot of times, uh, you can. Depends on who had serviced that truck prior to you buying it. You might be able to get on Carfax, one of them places, and, and check and see if there's any maintenance records out there. Yeah, I pulled a Carfax on it. There's nothing. Um, okay. The dealership I bought it from, they don't disclose the previous owner's information. Yeah. Um, doesn't, that, doesn't that drive you crazy? Yeah, and, and the guy I, I like that it. I bought it from, yeah. or the dealership I brought it from, they said that he was... Um, a uh, hot shot driver. The yeah. reason it has so many miles on it. Yeah. You know, I'm not too worried about the miles, but I just wondering how do I, as not being a diesel mechanic, know that I need to go spend probably just, three yeah, thousand dollars putting the pump on yeah. it. Yeah. Just put just do a visual inspection on it, and you know you always want to err on the side of caution too. If you can't prove it's been done, start your own maintenance schedule. Which is, you know what right, that means. I yeah. Right, exactly. And I bought it. Say, I'm gonna. I'm, I'd rather be safe than sorry. So that that's the way to handle that. I bought a three year, three thousand mile aftermarket extended warranty for it, and they cover fuel systems. So I'm like, do I take this thing in and, and spend three thousand out of my pocket, or do I let it hang grenade and spend 
$10,000 on a warranty yeah. and be on the side of the road with my fifth wheel. Um, well, so and there, there's, a few, there's, there's a few things you can do on that as far as testing it. I think they can hook up a pressure gauge on it and look at some data on it and tell if there's an issue with it. And you might just take it over and let Duck do that and then him contact the warning company and say, look, guys, I can I can verify this pump has got an issue and, and just talk to them about it and see what they'll say, you know. Or maybe Duck can just look at it and be like, this has already been done to your truck. That's correct. Yep. You might he get probably, that He probably can okay. tell it. Yeah, I, okay. I would do well, that, and then then if I didn't know, then I would I would try and do it the other way. See if you can get some data off of it and do a little testing on it, and see if you can pinpoint any kind of a weakness in it, and then call your warranty company and you know just run it past them, and see what they say. Okay. At least well, make them aware of it. You see what I'm saying? They may not say no, we right. can't pay for that yet, but you make them aware of it, and then if you have trouble in the near future or while it's still under their contract, then they've been aware of it. So yeah, then it's already been documented. it because you did call them and ask them. Okay. okay. Man, thank All you, gentlemen, right. for doing be what you do. I, I enjoy that. your show every week. All right. Thank, thank you, you very much. Appreciate the call. And uh, we're just about out of time. Okay, so let's, let's go over some things that uh, Joe has told you. Check your wipers. Check your tires in the tread. Check your... Your uh, oil, of course, but uh, check your uh, antifreeze. Make sure mm-hmm. that uh, you've got the right blend in uh, your car so you don't freeze up. Check your, uh, washer, your fluid. washer fluid because uh, you want to get the kind that's got the, the antifreeze in it, so to speak. One more little tip, okay. and this is an important one, Dave. If you leave your car outside and we get snow and ice and you go out and you turn your wipers on and they don't wipe... You better get out right away and dig them out where it'll let them wipe because if you turn it back off, that park unit will not park and that wiper motor will burn up sitting there trying to wipe one Just time. keep on going. That's correct. So the best thing to do is clear your windshield off and make sure they're broke loose before you turn them on. And take all the snow off the top of yes. your car. So the guy behind you don't get to wear it. That's right. Absolutely. Joe, thanks a lot. Appreciate Thank you. you I'll see you on Saturday. We'll be there Saturday at the station, 9 o'clock. For the car and truck doc, uh, doctors. We'll take a break. Last hour's coming up. Got a state representative says he's got some ideas about highways. I want to hear them. You'll want to hear them, too, on the next segment of the Dave Ellswick. All right, final hour of a uh, four-hour show today. It's been good. I mean, not every day that Senator Tom Coburn stops by and visits with you about the Convention of States. Not, not every day, no. no. Not every day at all. And Or Tommy Land comes by, or Joe comes by, or Kim Hammer comes by. Although Kim comes by a lot more often than other people do. And today, I think this is the first time that Carlton Wing has, has joined us. Yes, sir. Uh, he is a... Uh, a Republican. He is a state representative. Second term, is Second that correct? Term. All right. So you, you've. I'm going to have you move up on okay. that mic. You, you can't. You can't uh, sit over there and say ignorance on me. <laughs> you, 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 you've done broadcasting before, so move up on the mic and there we and, go and, and bring it to me. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, I was talking to uh, um, Paul. Oh, I forgot your name. I'm getting old, Paul. It's, it's happening. Uh, anyway, I was talking to Paul, and, and he said that you ran a piece of legislation a couple of years ago, and uh, it, it was a study program, basically. And now you're coming back and say, hey, it proved exactly what I told you it was going to prove. Now we need to make it 
solid. We need to make sure this happens. So why don't you bring my listeners up about what you proposed, how well it worked, and now you want to make it permanent. Yeah, this was a good example of of what transformation can do when you take uh, a new approach to the old thing. So this was uh, Arkansas Department of Transportation. One of the things that that um, that they did was the design-build method on large-scale highway projects. They wanted to be able to have the latitude to employ different type of procurement method. Now, all of this is not very sexy to talk about, but but when you get down to dollars and cents, what it did was it gave a... um, basically a general contractor approach to building highways. So you have one design right from the beginning, and it allows the whole process to be seamless. What would happen before is the, you'd have the design part, and then they would hand it off to the next crew, which right. might be the clearing, and then you've got you've got all these different kinds of, uh, of, of companies that would be involved. Well, what happens when you're four steps down and all of a sudden you realize there was a mistake made? Maybe it was in the design phase. Now you've got to stop the project. You've got to go back. And then that costs money. And that happened a few years back on I-40. You remember oh, when yeah. they misdesigned the bridge there? Yeah. And they found out they weren't going to meet in the middle where they were <laughs> yeah. supposed to meet at. They were going to be off. That's a uh, crucial part of the construction project right. is meeting in the middle on a bridge. And yeah. so what happened is is so you, you build into that expecting that there's going to be some overages, there's going to be some, some reconstruction. You build that into the cost. That costs more for the taxpayer. So if we bring in a, a construction manager who can oversee this from the beginning and they can work seamlessly, it, it helped eliminate that. So it saved time and it saved money. Which uh, and then by saving time, saved more money. That's right. So it was a pilot program. We we, uh, we enabled the RDOT to do it three times, uh, but they had to go uh, after each other. So we finished the first one, and it's the first project, which was Highway 10 West Little Rock. Okay, saved seven million dollars to the taxpayers. Wow, seven million dollars just like that. There was no cost to saving that money. That was just actually $7 million. Was that, that for the, the new entryway and all of that? It was all part, of the, yeah, all part of that whole deal there. So that was part of the new construction manager method. So what we want to do in this session, and I'll run this bill, is to uh, eliminate the pilot program and make that full-time. RDOT can use that when it's most beneficial and help save some more money. So what are, what are you thinking is the overall savings? If you have to look at what they've got right now, what would you say they could overall, not just on one project, but on several projects? Well, it's, it's, all, it's scalable. So it all depends on the scale of the project. This, this particular bill that we had was, was three projects for a maximum of $210 million worth of projects. So okay. one-third of those saved about $7 million, but it, it all depends on the scale of the project. So it could be much larger than seven. It could also be just a couple on a smaller project. Now, I'm just thinking. Any money saved. I-30 I, bridge. Yes. You know, when I look at that mm-hmm. and how many boneheaded things that are going on on that, and they said that that one area uh, of I-30 going to the bridge was going to cost... Was it six or seven hundred million dollars? Yeah, but it, when they about? started, it was in the, the $50 million, $60 million range, and then all know, of just, a sudden it went... It, it's just yeah. kept 
exponentially like, growing, oh, and it sounds like this would help keep that from happening. Yeah, yeah. Seems, yeah, like, I think, I re- seems like I recall it's what's a, maybe a six, five or six mile stretch there that they're wanting to rebuild, and it oh, was, and it was going to be, I think, north of six hundred thousand, six hundred million. I think, yeah, if, if I recall expensive. correctly. Pretty soon we'll just pave it all the way from I thirty to the Main Street Bridge, mm-hmm. and it'll just be nothing but solid lanes. Yeah, this <laughs> <laughs> is. Here's the thing: people being stupid about this though, because people are suing, you know, the folks at the highway department because. They don't want to move all of the traffic away from downtown. Folks, that's the object of what's going on out there. <laughs> traffic management. You know, you, you have to build things that people will want to get off of the highway and come see. That's, that's with every major city in this country. That's free market capitalism right there. Yeah. Oh, don't say that to Cortez. Her, her head will blow. I just She'll just go crazy. So... How how does it seem to what are you you facing out there? Most people are happy with what with, with down. I mean, you get a good feel if you think something is going to is going to ride through. Does it seem like this is this particular go? bill? Yes, yeah. yeah. It, it it sailed through the first time, and it's great when you can come back with a track record and say this is what we said it was going to do. Wow, look at this! It saved seven million dollars. It, it would be hard to find a negative on that. Yeah, I want to hear your speech. Hi, it works. <laughs> oh, yes. I appreciate a good vote. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Okay, so what are some other things that you're looking at? I mean, surely you got more on your on your plate than that that you'd like to do. Uh, obviously, you've kind of got the three T's. You've got uh, taxes, yeah. transformation, yeah. and transportation. That's right. So we, we hit a little bit on the transportation side. Taxes, obviously, we have got to address the taxes. You forgot issue. teachers. Teachers, yeah, that's right. We, we could go through a that's lot. That's number yeah. four. Yeah, and that's yeah. what the governor has been. You know, that's been the thing that he's been talking about constantly on my show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that and that's that's all part of it. But when you get into, you know, I think the tax structure in this state, we've got to address the reality of where we are, which is high, and we are we are historically high. We are regionally high. All of our border states uh, have a have a more impressive tax benefit plan than we do, and so we've got to make ourselves competitive. And what that means is, is we've got to look at where we can cut back. And so that brings in the transformation part. You know, what can we do to streamline government? And you've always got the issue of anytime you take $1 away from any entity that is currently getting that dollar, you take that dollar away. And, yeah, the sky is falling. And now whatever it is, whatever it is they represent, they they accuse, they say, you hate and yeah, so yeah. We, we've got to we've got to do a good job of, of communicating that, and that's really I think when we look at all the things that are going to happen in this session, and, and and every session has its own little fingerprint, but a lot of these are very similar threads throughout. We have got to do a better job of communicating why good conservative government works. We, and, and we've got to take that ownership. We can't complain that the media is always against us. We can't complain about the things that we've always complained about. We've got to take ownership ourselves and say we've got to do a better job of com- explaining why it works. Like on that micro scale, when we were talking about that one bill, it's easy to yeah. say, here's a bill, it works. save $7 million, it works, let's vote for it. But we've got to do a better job of just explaining even conservative principles. A- across the board. Across the like board, why, yeah. Why do we want liberty? Well, because it's the right thing to do. And how do we explain that well, This is a, there's a moral principle? Principle for yeah. a lot of these issues. How do we explain that in a way that's palatable to people? But unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of us, a lot of Americans, have been kind of become addicted to all these government programs. Mm-hmm. We, we want free stuff. 
mm-hmm. at someone else's expense. And, and, and Nothing's free. It's not free, obviously. But but we want so much free stuff, and we've just been duped into becoming addicted to it. And we've also been duped into being defensive yeah. about our conservatism. And I think we need think to go. I need to, you know, because I always explain to people. I say, I'm compa- I'm conservative because I'm compassionate. It's my compassion that makes me conservative. Because when I look at what really does help people, what brings people out of poverty, mm-hmm. it's it's free market economy at work. Because it's the free market that brings more goods and services in a more efficient way at a lower cost than any other way how, we have devised. How can we how can we make people better people without doing wrong things. And that's one of the things that we end up with. You know, why do I want liberty? Because it's the right thing to do. You know what also it does? It makes you a better person. It might make you wealthier. But even sometimes, you know, if you're a bad, lazy person, free markets might make you poorer. But you deserve to be poorer if you're if you're a lazy person. I'm sorry. And what's going to keep you from being lazy is going through the consequences of laziness. And then you'll think, you know what? I think there's a better way out there because my neighbor, Paul, he looks like he's doing all right and he works. Right. God gave us this neat little thing. It's called hunger. (laughs) If I'm lazy, I get hungry. And... And my body comes up and kicks me in the side of the head and says, eat, you moron. <laughs> it, it all gets back to choice and accountability. And when you give people the choices and, the, and accountable for the actions, mm-hmm. it has a, it has a, a, a very self-correcting way sure. of bringing out the best in all of the talents that we have. God gave us all talents and abilities. Sure. We use those. We prosper and sure. we're happy. And then, then there's a few people that need help. But you know what? A lot of us are willing to help them. That's right. We don't need to have, to have government come along with their guns and point, point them at us. And tell him, you, know, you need to help this guy over here. <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do it without being coerced. Yep, we've seen right. it happen. We're that's going to get right. a break in. We'll come back. We're going to continue our conversation. I want to come back and ask Carlton some some big questions, not just what's going on here in Arkansas, but you know, how does somebody like a Ocasio Cortez convince people that socialism is better than capitalism and the media? fawn all over her. I want to just talk to him about that a little bit. I'm sure he's got some thoughts on it uh, as well. We'll be back. We've got more going on. We're on the third floor of the uh, State Capitol building. We're on the House side. We do this uh, every two years when the General Assembly is assembled. I'm here, too, to keep you up to date about what they're trying to do. We'll be back. We'll talk about more here as we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show. Our, our guest, Carlton Wing, and which district do you represent? District 38, which is a good chunk of North Little Rock and a good chunk of Sherwood as well. So I represent North Little Rock and Sherwood. All right. Very cool. All right. So let, let, let's go back and let me ask a few more questions about this, this new way that you're going to uh, help Arkansas taxpayers save money. How did you see this and everybody else didn't see it? You know, it, it really, it's just getting down and talking to the people who are on the front lines. And this in this case, this was the Arkansas Department of Transportation. They saw, hey, you know what, we've got a way here that we can incorporate that other states have used effectively. Mm-hmm. And it's great when other states could be your guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, they said, this, this has worked. Let's try it here. And it worked. And that's why, you know, letting states do things you got 50 laboratories that are out yeah. there doing new things, and you find what works and what doesn't work. And maybe you look at it and say, you know, that that works well, but it would work even better here if we do this. Right. And things get better, and then other states pick it up, and they even do better. 
Uh, it's 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 good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you know, you went out and you talked to some people to find out that what you're going to do was going to help and not hinder. Right. So, so sometimes it's kind of interesting how you can have good leadership and that good leadership, while you have to pay the leadership, sometimes that leadership can make everybody else more productive. Right. And so sometimes, you know, just like with these CEOs, people whine and complain about them making piles and piles of money. But at the end of the day, so you paid the CEO $30 million, your salary just went no, up. No, wait. Okay, Acacia would say that yeah, that's, that's what's that's wrong. With right, right. But that's the thing right. is, you got billionaires. Right, right. How and dare so, you? and so you get you get a CEO of a of a major corporation, and it costs every employee twenty five cents a day to hire the CEO or whatever it may be. But in chain, in turn, they make another five bucks a day. We'll take that bargain every that, that's, time. That's yeah. a, that's a yeah. bargain. Yeah. Even though you're paying the guy thirty or forty million dollars a year. You know, sometimes when you're when you've got lots and lots of influence, good decisions can really make a lot of money for a lot of people. All right, so let me uh, come back here to Carlton and let him get in this cons- uh, this discussion that I want to have with him because he's made the statement that he's a capitalist. Okay, he believes in capitalism, and that's good because I I say this all the time. You know, I listen to people like, uh, you know, uh, our 29-year-old illiterate stupid uh, who, who has a degree in economics, who is a socialist, hmm. makes no bones about it, which in itself is a whole hour I could talk about, about why Americans are even listening to socialists. But uh, she amazes me. Scott, she amazes me because she just makes up stuff. What she says is not even true. It's false. You know, she talks about uh, uh, capitalism as though it's a disease. Well, it's a disease lifting people out of poverty. It's done more. It's done more than any in the other, world yeah. of lifting people out of poverty than than socialism and communism have done. In fact, those two particular uh, methodologies of economics have killed more people than social or than, than capitalism has. Capitalism, you know, defeated those kinds of of bullies. Well, you get in with this the socialism and communism, they're they're massive government programs. Of course it, they it are. ends up being maybe worse than just general plain old pirates that used to kill people. Yeah. They were small operators. And you, bottom, you have the big big communist organization, they're killing hundreds of millions of people. Yeah, they did. Or, or at least tens of millions of people. Just take a look at what Stalin, Lenin, and Mao did. That's all you got to do. Just those three people. I'm not even asking you to get involved with some of the others over in Venezuela and some of the other places that currently are doing that. It's just, it's, it's, it's really amazing that somebody gets elected from a very blue district uh, in New York, walks into uh, Congress, and the Democrats have capitulated to her. She represents, a, she's a change agent. You know, she, media, you have to understand what the media is after. Media is after something that's flashy and that's different. She is certainly different than the person that she replaced there in, in New yeah, York. Yeah, a white guy. Yeah, and so, <laughs> boom, now, you gotta get, now you've got somebody, and she, she's, she's got some flash, she's got some pizzazz. Um, she is uh, all heart, not as much 
um, on, on, the, on, the, on the intellectual yeah. start part. And so, but that is what is, it's making the headlines. It's what draws people to the, to the television sets to hear what she has to say, no matter what it is. And so that brings it back to us. We have to take ownership to be able to say, okay, she's, she's getting her message out. How is she able to do that? Well, she does have a little bit of a head start, but we can overcome that. And so we can overcome that with good arguments. You know, when you start spitting out statistics, um, eyes start rolling around in your head. Yeah. It's hard to exactly keep an right. audience engaged when all you do is quote stats. And so we've, we, we've always done a pretty good job of, of quoting using our head. Mm-hmm. And, and typically the other side does a really good job of using their hearts. It's all, it's all feel. And so we've got to do a pretty good job. We've got to do a better job than what we have been of, of bringing the, the stats that are in our head, the truth that we know, and bring it into some real-life situations, real stories, and that, that can connect in the way that Reagan did. Reagan was a master communicator. He was able to take a country that had elected Jimmy Carter, and we saw what happened, and he was able to turn it around and make an entire country a group of conservatives. <laughs> and he did. I was there. I saw it. That was, that was, I was a junior in high school when Reagan's re-election campaign came through Little Rock. And so because I was working on his campaign, I got to oh, be wow. kind of inside the barrier when he spoke at the old Excelsior Hotel. Mm-hmm. Changed my life. Really? Yeah, that was great. And that's amazing. I, let's go to the phones. Uh, Jim is in Benton. Jim, we don't have a lot of time. We're coming up on the news. Can you kind of give us your question about, uh, you wanted to talk about roads? Uh, yes, sir. Well, I just kind of wanted to point out that there's a real bad area of Interstate 30 on the west side from the rest area there around the 96 all the way down past the 91 mile marker there in Social Hill that is just in terrible, terrible condition needs to be replaced. And then I want to know why uh, Dallas County is not in compliance with the uh, shoulders of the road area on almost every road in Dallas County that leads over toward 79 in that part of the country, uh, the area, uh, Highway 129, or 128 rather, uh, there's a few sections of Highway 9 and then most of Highway 7 doesn't have any of those uh, asphalt or extended shoulders, it's all gravel and most of it's mud. You know, it's just, I don't understand why they're not spending the money that they get allocated for highway upkeep, and every one of their roads down through there need to be repaid. All right, Jim, i got to let you go because we're coming up on the news. When we come back, I don't know whether uh, Carlton Wing, uh, state representative, can answer your question, but we'll ask it of him. All right, let's get back into our discussion uh, here with State Representative Carlton Wing. Uh, he uh, represents North Little Rock in, in Sherwood. Uh, that last caller uh, was talking about uh, places that aren't in your district, mm-hmm. but uh, can he, like, send you an, an email and then you can forward it to somebody that's from that district? Absolutely. If you'll send me an email, Carlton at carltonwing.com that's about as easy as i can make it but send that send me an email there i'll be happy to forward that along and we'll we'll get you some answers as far as what's in the works and why and how and i'll even get those representatives from those areas involved yeah because that he doesn't represent the people the constituents there but there are people who do and 
he works with them daily, so he can oh, yeah. he can send that, that information and to them. You know, even though I represent North Little Rock and Sherwood, every law I you're, vote you're right. for yeah, or against is for the entire state. Right. So it we're does, we're it, all together on this. Right. It does affect the rest of us. Yeah, it, it has to. All right, so let's move back and you know, why this change in the mentality of America. When I went to school, capitalism. And are we on on the on, okay on the Facebook? If you watch, you can watch this on my Facebook. Okay, Facebook dot com slash Dave Ellswick Show. When I was in school, when they talked about capitalism, it was held in high high esteem. It was taught like this. Okay, and then when they talked about you know Europe and they talked about you know France or uh, Britain or whatever. They talked about socialism. They talked about this. And then when they mentioned the Soviet Union and, and communism, they talked about this. Okay. Now, when you talk socialism in this country, it's like this, and capitalism is under it. I don't get it. How, how did we get so far removed from capitalism being the way to do this? Was it a mistake that our politicals up in Washington, D.C., instead of doing capitalism, started doing corporatism? I mean, what do you think happened there, Carlton? You know, that's an interesting uh, thought. One thought would be it's kind of a flavor of the month type of a deal. You know, when you've been taught something for a long time, there's just a natural tendency to go in a different direction just because it's fun. And I think I'm I'm kind of making fun of that. I understand. But but, that's that's how Representative Cortez uh, in New York, I think there was just, let's just do something different and see what happens. That can work for us because think about Donald Trump. If there was anybody that was different and that was a change agent, Mm -hmm. you know, that that was that. And so you think about, you had 17 qualified candidates and many people thought he would have been the last of those 17 <laughs> but there was kind of a flavor of the month even approach with that because he talked so real you know he, he really he kind of connected he made everybody feel like they were important he reached out in a way that nobody else was and so to bring it back to your question here why is there all of a sudden this this influence and 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 kind of a, this desire to pursue something that takes us away from everything that has made us prosperous and free. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's hard to explain why if you look at it logically. But if you look at it emotionally, you can find these compelling stories. So you brought in corporatism. So it's not hard to look down any business sheet and find somebody who did something bad at a company in that's the name correct. of profits. Yep. yep. So, but that's why we have laws. You know, I've always held government is to set up the framework ensure fairness and get out of the way but we've got to ensure fairness there need to be some laws to uh, you know uh, prosecute bad actors yeah right and, but, right and so i think one of the problems here is that we've got people like cortez is maybe they're looking at some of these bad actors but we need to, we need to be pointing out that a lot of these bad actors they're not operating under free markets mm-hmm. a lot of them are operating under protectionism and they're still being they're still in business, in fact, in spite of the, the bad that they have done and the harm that they have done, and the free markets have not been allowed to take them out. Yeah, and, and bad actors are bad actors, right. whatever, wherever, right. wherever, whatever, wherever reason. Whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think in some cases what happens is you've got market forces that are putting pressure on, on large businesses, and instead of the market forces being allowed to, to actually take the bad actors out, they end up finding politicians to make laws for them that keep their competition down. Mm-hmm. And so you've got these giant 
organizations, these giant businesses that don't go under like they should because they find a, a government solution to, to the to the natural market forces that would have actually fixed the problem. And that kind of brings in, you know, our regulation level in this state. You know, we've got to do a better sure. job to make us competitive. We, we are so over-regulated mm-hmm. in so many industries, we've right. got to try to dial that back as well. Right. There's, but how, how difficult is that? To dial, I mean, to dial it back. I mean, you look at how many, you know, licenses you got to have to do just a normal job anymore. The, the average schmo out there can't even get into one of those jobs because he's got to have five, $600 to buy a license. It, and, and that's every time you talk about dialing anything back, whoever's on the inside tells you the sky is going to fall. So right. we go back to that same thing that we talked about two segments ago. You take $1 away from an entity, right. the sky's going to fall. You start dialing back regulation. Power those away. who are in that, yeah, because that's protectionist. Mm-hmm. And, and so we want to create an environment in which more people want to right. enter the industry, right. more people can have jobs, and that brings prices down for all of us as consumers. Everybody wins except for the people who have that monopoly or right. partial. Okay, so I'm, what I'm hearing from you is what I want to hear from elected officials, okay? Problem is there's not enough of people like you. We're getting there. And, and, and really, and we'll get more and more if we can communicate our message effectively. I'll tell you, one of the problems that we've got with some of these bills that will come through is the default position for anything that creates a question. The default position is no. That's the safest thing to do because you can always vote yes later. But if you vote yes on a bad bill, you can't vote no later and say, hey, I want to I take that back. Mm-hmm. So, so the default position is no. And so good, good people, when I say good um, uh, negotiators on the other side will create fear. They'll create some doubt. And so when you're talking about deregulation. It's going to hurt your kids. They're going to say, yeah, they're going to say, oh, it's going to do this. It's going to do that. This will, this will harm this Close or that. School. And yeah. And so then all of a sudden, you, if, you're not, if you're not knowledgeable and if you're not for occupational license. No, like, you don't. Right. And, and people, one of the first things they go to is the medical industry. That's the dumbest one to go to. You know how many people they kill every year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the estimation is like maybe north of 400,000. The worst one to go to if you actually want to look at the numbers. I mean, how could a free market ever allow, allow any industry to kill that many of their customers? I mean, let's, let's look at some actual numbers. Are these regulations making us safer, or are they just making everything more expensive? Well, how about we we, the key we take that yeah. Yeah, take that and and talk further about it? Let's talk about something as simple as cutting hair. Yeah, and so now you got to have a license to cut hair. You know what? I can make up my mind if I want a guy to be my barber from looking at other people who have gone and had their hair cut by him. It's that's one of those things you can look in the mirror and decide. You know what? I think I'm going to go somewhere else. Yeah, next time. yeah, I, I think <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I asked for just some take a little trim, and you know, I got a buzz cut. Um, you know, this, this is not good. I, I don't think I'm going to spend my money there anymore. When I was in college, and I, it was my senior year, and I was trying to get my my resume tape ready so I could be a sportscaster. My goal was to be back here in Little Rock, which I eventually achieved. But I was getting a haircut, and my hairstylist cut right across the bang line. Didn't oh, we were just no. talking in conversation? She jumped back and said, "Oh no." Which made me think, oh, no, <laughs> how bad is this? It yeah. was bad enough that I could not use a single piece of video for the next two months oh, to try to get wow. a job. Uh, <laughs> so, that's tough. You know what, though? But uh, occupational license or no, I decided to go elsewhere. 
Yeah, you didn't need the government to tell you. <laughs> no, the government this didn't didn't and she, probably had, she probably had a license. Yeah, it was a free market decision I made. Right. Yes, but she probably had a license. <laughs> Maybe so. The, the government probably already made her jump through hoops to do that for you, and it still happened. It still happened. And yeah. the other part that uh, uh, you know, one that I enjoy is you go have uh, to like uh, sports clips or somebody like that, and they can't use a straight razor. You go to. You go to somebody that's out there that that can give you a shave. Mm-hmm. They can use a st- straight razor. Why they can't the, the bar? Why can't the, yeah? Why can't the bar- barbers use a straight razor? I don't. I don't get. When I was a kid, they used mm-hmm. it. I remember going around my ears. You know, they use a straight razor and down your your neck and stuff. Somebody changed that along the line, uh, and I gotta believe it was to protect. Somebody got hurt somebody somewhere else. Somebody else, yes. Yeah. Well, somebody got hurt somewhere along the way, and that was an excuse. Mm-hmm. That was a ju- somebody that was did, a, didn't a want their money taken. That was a justification for creating a monopoly for themselves, or a partial monopoly. And and we can always find a, find cases of somebody getting hurt. That's a fact of life. Well, it's like the, the lady that, that uh, wanted to braid hair, and they wouldn't yeah. let her braid hair unless she got a complete... You know, she went in and cosmetology and, license. Yeah, cosmetology license. It was like six thousand dollars to braid frickin' hair. Social media has really been able to elevate the discourse to the point that makes a lot of the issues with licensing moot. Mm-hmm. Because social media, all the ranking systems that we've got now, yeah. to be able to say, "Hey, I went here and this is what this I got." Both pro and con. Right. This guy's yeah. a loser. This guy's really good. Yeah. And yeah. so and so, you know, you can even on eBay. Look you, at my you hair. Can, you can, you can look at how or the sellers rate, are rated because if they do bad service, people will give them a bad rating, mm-hmm. and that's, it's a cool system. And it doesn't take government. No, oh. thank you, Angie's List, for starting it. Yeah, that kind I'm of sorry thing. that you're go. going out of business. <laughs> oh no, is she really? Yeah, they're losing. They're uh-huh. losing clients because they don't make you join them to be able to get the ratings. You can go on, you know. Some they have a competition. Yeah. You can go on Facebook and get all kinds of stuff that yeah. you need. All right, we've got to get our final break in. And if you don't mind, Carlton, we'll keep you for a few Happy more moments. Okay, Carlton Wing is our guest here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Tomorrow, uh, first hour, J.R. Davis, Governor Spokesman, to be with us. And then uh, we'll, we'll wait until tomorrow to decide who we want to try to get on the air with us because we'll see what's happening as far as bills go uh, on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Monday, when we're back here, uh, we'll start the show off with Doyle Webb. He'll be with us. Uh, Robert Steinbach will be with us. Uh, Conduit uh, News will be with us. So we got a lot of things planned for you for Monday as well. Did you know that there's 567 different ways to claim your Social Security benefits, 2,728 rules in the Social Security Handbook, and your own government has told the Social Security Administration that they're forbidden to offer you any personalized advice. So you're totally on your own. May be a reason that as much as $10 billion in benefits go unclaimed every year. So learn how you could wring every nickel out of your Social Security Security benefits in the up-to-date guide to Social Security. It's from David Lucas, host of the David Lucas Show. Hear that every Saturday at 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. right here at 101.1 FM. The answer to get that free guide to Social Security, be one of the first. 10 callers right now at 501-653-6600. 
90, 501-653-6690, or visit davidlucasfinancial.com. All right, Carlton Wing, our guest, and uh, a final segment with him. And uh, Carlton, let me ask you, I mentioned this to you off off the air, that one of the uh, things that people say around here will drive me crazy is it's going to be revenue neutral. Mm-hmm. And I want to, you know, our platform as Republicans here in Arkansas is to shrink government. That's in our platform. It's not to make sure that if we shrink uh, the taxes on our citizens, that we got to go find places that we can raise taxes in other areas to make up for the money that we're losing. Um, you know, the governor and I have had some pretty straight talk about that before. So my question to you, do you believe that we will finally start moving that way where the money is really going to go back to the citizens and we'll see some of this godforsaken paternalistic uh, government that has built up over the years of the Democrats and still here of the Republicans. Yeah, you know, and I I do, and I'll tell you why, because right now, this is our opportunity. When we're talking about transformation and all of the, the, the changes that can take place, this is our shot. Because if we approach it piecemeal, that's that's not going to work because of the the things that we talked about earlier in this show is you take one dollar away you hear from everything Mm -hmm. but if we can present a an entire picture of of transforming government going as the governor said he wants to cut it from 42 agencies down to 15 Mm -hmm. and 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 a lot of the savings that go with that uh and 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 really how we look at the delivery of services of government this is our chance if we do it right this is our best chance to actually shrink government. Uh, it's so difficult to do because it's so politically. Um, uh, when, when you've got a situation, when you're cutting something, and somebody's going to accuse you of, of not caring about whatever entity it is. We, we talked about how the, the feel-good media jumps on that, and they don't care about the facts. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to be able to come, justify everything. Come up with stories. Yeah, got to come up with stories. That's a lot of stories. You know, but stories are the most effective way to reach the heart. So if you can get a story that actually includes the facts, now now you can make it happen. That's what we as conservatives have to do a better job of. But I really do think this this, uh, transformation effort that we're going to have in this session, led by the governor, Lieutenant Governor Griffin as well, that's that's our best chance at actually shrinking government because government is so hard to shrink. It, it by nature it just grows and grows, and so it takes some awfully aggressive caretakers to keep that from happening and to actually get it back. Yeah, I, I've said that the Democrats have been, you know, brilliant in in certain areas. One being, you know, Obamacare, and that uh, they they put it together. And they didn't stay just with poor people. They took it into the middle class. And guess what? The middle class likes getting checks, too. Everybody likes to get checks. And, and I, <laughs> when I was here and that was being uh, debated and they were looking at what they were going to do, granted, it was an Obama-driven uh, uh, policy and he was going to do what he was going to do. But to even hook your wagon in any way, shape, or form to that seemed crazy to me because giving people insurance 
sooner or later, as as stewards of the people's money, uh, we should know that may not be able to keep that going. But you but you want it to come. You want it to happen. And that's that's you asked earlier why did Ocasio-Cortez get elected? Because people wanted to believe what she said was true, even though deep down in their heart they knew it wasn't. But they wanted to believe in the promise of Obamacare, even though what really happened is, yeah, a lot more people got insurance, insurance they couldn't afford. Because and the deductibles were they so couldn't high. Use it. Yeah, they couldn't use it. And so but on paper it felt good. And that gets into the earlier argument that we said what feels good sometimes isn't what actually is good. We've got to do a better job of getting our policies across that actually feel good because they are good. All right. I appreciate you coming and joining hey, us. Thank you. Today. I enjoyed I had it. A, had a great time. Uh, we got to get out of here because I've got additional things they got to play at the end of the show now for our great sponsors and things of that nature. So we want you to know we'll be here again tomorrow at 2 o'clock so that uh, we can keep up with what's going on. J.R. Davis is our first guest tomorrow. There are some real questions uh, that I'd like to ask tomorrow because yesterday in the Demgas, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, representatives and senators who have signed on uh, on no new taxes. And they're going to find it very difficult to find money, uh, maybe for roads and stuff. And I, I think that what's going to happen is that you're going to see they're going to bring it to you. But to bring it to you, they better make it comfortable for you as best way for me to put it if it's some kind of pie in the sky by and by kind of bill uh, with a gazillion dollars you'll say no and then they're back to square one where they were at so it's going to be interesting to see what uh, happens with that i want to talk to uh, to jr about how the uh, uh, governor is viewing that because hey he's felt this way from the word get-go he wanted to take it to the people as an initiated act so we'll see what happens on it all right, we're done for it today. It's awful quiet here in the uh, the halls of the uh, the house, and uh, people probably can hear me at the other end of the uh, the building right now with all this marble. With that said, you have a great evening. I'll see you again tomorrow at two here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We got to tell you all about, you know, we made this possible through uh, the folks at uh, Sunrise. They did a good job for us. Russ, I'll turn it back over to you. You got the Starship. You take it. Take us home, okay? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.